With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? Where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Phil, good day to you. What a dramatic 10 days of World Championship qualifying we have seen. And what a 17 days we have to look forward to at the Crucible. It has to be said, we've known it for so long. But again, the middle of April is just a very good time to be a snooker fan, isn't it? It really is. It's uh, it's quite a tiring time to be a snooker fan, to be honest, as if there isn't a time where that's the case. But yeah, it feels like, I mean, it's all one tournament, isn't it? But this feels like there's been a whole tournament already. Um, it feels an awful long time ago. I was watching Zhang Ander win uh, on the first day of qualifying. He swept aside young Anton Kazakov quite early, uh, quite easily, sorry. And uh, yeah, that seems a long while ago, but it's been a lot of action and uh, we've not got to the main course yet, but it's been great. Yeah, it's been quite a starter. And I'm seeing messages from fans, you know, and it's a bit like when I was growing up, Wimbledon used to do this. And I don't think I realised that people took holidays so much for this, but they do. They they take their holidays off work, which I love. One fan said to me they've got some batch cooking on the go. So, you know, they've got some proper old fridge full of food. You know, it's, they're all just, you know, it's not like hunkering down. You know, forget forget sort of sleep, Phil. That, that's for wimps, as that old phrase used to be, for the next 17 days. But you're right, you know, it's almost like wouldn't have minded banking a bit of sleep before it all starts, but no chance of that because um, it's just been brilliant, hasn't it? And we've been messaging each other throughout the day and saying this is, has to be on, honest here and say it's one of the most overwhelming episodes. We've done this one, actually, isn't it? You know, as, as we lurch our way into it, it's like, you know, where do we actually start? Because it's been a bewildering, you know, set of stories and and, and matches and, and drama, you know, in Sheffield before we even get to the first round draw. So, look, we should be finished by the time the action starts on Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. Yeah. That's, what, that's what I would say. It's Thursday night. We should be done by Saturday. Yeah, that's the plan. We might have to pause the podcast for that media day tomorrow, but we'll come back to it if we have to. Um, but yeah, it's, it's overwhelming. As I say, that's a whole tournament we've got to look back on. 
and that's just the qualifiers. And of course, we could do a whole pod just looking at the, the first round draw at the Crucible. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll try not to dilly dally on things too much. And I guess we'll have to rattle through it. Do you know what? We both agree a good place to start is with Nigel Bond, who has announced his retirement at the age of 56 after losing 6-1 to Lucas Kleckers in world qualifying. I mean, what a professional uh, feel. I mean, th- this is one of those guys that, you know, been a professional since the 80s, turned pro in 89. And because he's kind of had such a long time playing in what you'd call the tail end of his career, still with highlights, of course, like beating Judd Trump in the UK, it's easy to forget what top player he was, but reached the world final, won his only ranking event in very dramatic fashion, the British Open in 96, beating John Higgins in the final. And just such a, a consummate professional, really, always so respectful, so decent. And he'll be missed, won't he? He'll still be around the scene, of course. He said he'll play seniors. He's not one to put the queue away. He'll be busy coaching, so he'll very much be on the scene. But in terms of on the main tour, you know, it's it's the real end of an era. Yeah, it's an it's a incredible achievement to be... Um, unbroken stint as a professional since 1989, with no, you know, invitational wildcard or anything like that. He's earned his place the whole the whole uh, distance. And I've sp- spoken to other players about that. You know, I've spoken to people like Fergal O'Brien and say something similar to that, and they sort of dismiss it because you know they're not there just to hang around as professionals at the bottom end of the rankings. They want to, uh, they expect to be better than that. But it is an achievement. It's not to be um, ignored. And yeah, I mean that beating John Higgins in the final of a big ranking event, um, a, an event that he beat Steve Hendry to get to the final in as well along the way. So yeah, you're right in saying he was genuinely a very top player that, uh, in his heyday. I think seven Masters appearances in a row, which is is a big feat in itself. Um, you scan his little uh, Wikipedia results bit, and there's a lot of semis in there. Um, yeah, it takes some doing, and it's very impressive. And uh, yeah. You're right in saying he'll be missed, but um, at 56, he's done very, very well to still be going at that age. And whoever's getting coaching from him, I'm sure will be getting some invaluable advice. Yeah, no no doubt about it. And uh, I've got some quotes and I really like the sort of the, the, the sense of the element of sadness, but also a sense of real thankfulness as well. He says that after 33 years of being a professional, it's a sad day as snooker has been my life. The last few years have been increasingly difficult when you don't perform to the standard required. I feel very grateful to have been able to make a career out of my passion. I've had the privilege of traveling the world and meeting the most amazing people. I'd like to thank you for all your support and generosity and uh, continuing friendship. And it must be funny because it's not like sort of footballers, I guess, that some go on to their 40s, don't they? But it's rare, sort of, they might be mid, late 30s. You go on for so long in snooker. I mean, that's effectively his working life done now, isn't it? And it's just one thing. So it's it's such a profound part of, of your life. It's it's hard for us to understand, but you know, we're obviously only watching on. But it must feel such a mixture, I guess, of some emptiness there, of course, and sadness, but you know, great things to reflect on. And as as Nigel himself says there, you know, a privilege to do what you love. Yeah, for that amount of time, I'm sure if you said to him in 1989 when he's turning pro, will you still be a pro- professional at 55, 56? He would have said, I don't think so. <laughs> so he, he's got play, he's got plenty out of it. Um, and yeah, like I say, he's, he's he's racked up so much knowledge and wisdom over that time. He's he's got 
he's got coaching in his in his back pocket for as long as he wants it. Um, so yeah, uh, great career. Um, and yeah, I suppose it's as long as you know sporting careers are generally quite short careers, aren't they? But that's not far off, you know, a normal length career in a in a normal job. So yeah, no, he's done very well for himself. And uh, yeah, I think congratulations is the word really, because um, as I said, it's an achievement to be around that long. Just to just to be on the circuit, it takes some doing. Look at the players that will get to this, but the players that have just dropped off this year. And uh, yeah, we'll see how hard it is to stay on. No, very much so. And I'll always have a, a soft spot for Nigel because the first time I ever went to the Crucible was the first day of that world final, him and Hendra. So I think I said to you before, Phil, picked up a green and uh, with all the full-time football scores in Madrid. I mean, I'm actually sound like it's 1965 here. It was only 1995. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it was just before the internet. Some of, Actually, some of the students I was with at the time, they were using the net. But me being a technophobe, I, I didn't really start until a few years later. But it was that kind of crossover period where the old media was kind of still going. So it was, I always thought that was a miracle, really, to actually read football reports at like five o'clock. Uh, of, you know, that they'd have all the details of the first half and then like a couple of lines for the second. I loved all those days. <laughs> but, you, but yeah, congratulations to Nigel. Great way of saying it. Uh, but yeah, various other players, of course, uh, Phil. Fergal O'Brien, Andrew Higginson, uh, Kurt Mafflin, Michael Holt, uh, after he lost to, to Tom Ford off the tour. And these are sort of mainstay guys that have been around for quite some time. It's going to be uh, sobering for, for many of them. But but Michael Holt's very much taking that positive to some extent, I'll go to Q school. I'm not mingled enough. I'll try and be- get back on. I'll notice some fellow pros are saying, you get, you'll get there. You're too good. You'll get straight back on there. It'd be interesting to see, won't it? Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say that, isn't it? I uh, I, I do think you'll get back through, but there's no guarantees. It's, it's really hard. And like you said, those names that will be there, um, it's going to be a really tough time. And Sonia Carney's on there, Martin O'Donnell, I don't think you said. You know, these are really good players. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be brutal. And uh, uh, best of luck for any sort of hopeful rookies that are going to that tournament and see all those guys turn up for a place on tour. It's going to be very tricky. Um, but, yeah, I think a lot, all those names, really. But um, people seemed, you know, people have a soft spot for Holt, I think. People seem to like him. Um, I really like him. Really likeable guy. He's been on here, hasn't he? He was excellent value. Um, and he's just he's just a really good player. It's it's, it's bizarre to see him dropping off tour, but um, you know that's results, isn't it? He's been very uh, straightforward about that. You know, if you don't win enough games, you go. So that's what happens. But um, yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll be we'll have a couple of days rest after the Crucible if when that comes to it, and then we'll uh, we'll be following that with interest at Q School as well because that's a that's a big tournament in itself. Oh, very much so. It's actually not, it's not been a sudden thing with Michael, has it? It's been something you've kind of noticed, really. So his results haven't been good enough. It, he's almost been staring down the barrel for a while, actually, I think by his own admission. So, but you know, it, one of those things that it, it could be one of those funny things that you won't think it at the moment, but might end up as a, as a hindsight thing. It might have worked in the favour of a couple of those old stages that, that might be able to get back on because they'll, Get that confidence, won't they? I mean, Peter Lyons was on here, wasn't he? Talking about getting through Q school. And it, it, it kind of makes you think, I've still got it. I mean, because there are, there are going to be some good old players there, aren't there? And there's, you know, there's no prisoners of that event now. So, you know, it really will be interesting. But also, I like the, I mean, I think people like Joe Perry, when he's on here, said it, 
he's now getting so old, he probably wouldn't go through Q school now. But I like the ones that are that are really getting on a bit, frankly, in, in snooker terms, but are still willing to not let go. Yeah, no, I mean, Holt's been, I, I did a piece with him um, before he dropped off, but he was good enough to talk to me um, about the prospect of dropping off. And, uh, you know, he's, he, He's he's very confident in his game. He, he he's playing he's he's practicing well. He's playing at a decent level. Um, you know he's not getting smashed off the park. He's lost a lot of deciders. Um, I watched that game. He he won his first game in qualifying very comfortably. He was very good. Um, and then he was he was a bit unlucky against Tom Ford. Tom Ford's a great player. Um, so yeah, he, he's not doubting that he's good enough to be there. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Q school, I mean, the draw is obviously massive. You can be very fortunate or very, very, un, uh, very unlucky. Um, so we'll see how it, how it gets on. But um, yeah, uh, I think he'll be back. It'll, it'll be very odd if he isn't. Um, but, you know, I don't, we'll, we'll see how the tour is quite set up. But sometimes, as, as Mark Williams has said, sometimes it's, it's best not to quite get on, finish right at the top of the Q school rankings. You end up as a top up for everything and can play in all the amateur events as well. So um, there's silver linings if he doesn't quite make. Yeah, no, very much so. I mean, there's so many overwhelming events. So I'll let you shout up with any that I, that I maybe don't mention here. But obviously, the aforementioned Joe Perry, he lost to Jackson Page 6 3 at the third stage, where some really big names actually did exit. I mean, Gary Wilson went down 6 0 to Jamie Clark. Gary Wilson, the former Crucible semi finalist. Uh, Martin Gould beaten as well by Ashley Hugill, who went on to win again. We'll come to that, of course. And uh, then Kurt Maffin, who I mentioned uh, falling on tour, he lost 6-1 to David Lilly. Uh, Fan Zhengzi, a uh, ranking event winner this season, lost 6-5 to Chris Wakelin. And then Ricky Walden uh, going down 6-4 to Alan Taylor. I made that one of the most surprising results of the, the whole qualifying, actually, for me. Fine player, Alan Taylor, but Ricky's really looked in form lately. I mean, he had that funny old match, didn't he, a couple of tournaments ago where he, he ended up potentially having caught of a mean on the line. But that's kind of what he was, you know, he was sniffing around the Tour Championship. So for him to go out of that stage, that's a real surprise. Yeah, it was. Um, and I can't remember, I was speaking to someone the other day and I was saying how surprised I was. And um, they made the point that, you know, it, it was a real gut punch to miss out on all that money um, and the potential for more at the Tour Championship and stuff. And it'll take some picking back up off the floor. but. I'm not so sure if that's why he lost that game. You know, it was a couple of weeks ago. I don't think he's that fragile. He'd still be hurting about that. Um, I suppose that's just the nature of best 11s at that, at that stage. Um, I don't know. Alan Taylor could beat him over a best of 19, but it's less likely, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, no, I was very surprised. I think anyone who was tipping up qualifiers, um, Walden would have been one of their um, sort of locked-in picks, wouldn't he? He's been excellent all season. Um so, yeah, there was a surprise in that, yeah, that Gary Wilson result. Um, you know, Jamie Clark edging out Gary Wilson had been a, the biggest surprise, but 6-0 really was uh, really was a shock. Um, I thought Pang Jungju would look very good, and he got beaten quite comfortably by Graham Dot. Um, yeah, Jackson Page, who we'll, um, we'll talk about when because he, uh, he came through, but him just beating Zhao Gudong was very impressive. Um, no, sorry, not Zhao Gudong. He beat Joe Perry. Um, sorry, I'm looking at the qualifiers the wrong way, but he won four four games to get through, being O'Sullivan, Carty and Perry, dropping just five frames along the way. And then we'll get to Judgment Day in a second. But yeah, Page was excellent. It was great. It was David Grace that beat Zhao Gudong, which was also a very impressive win. Very much so. And it has to be said, I mean, 
I, I was certainly following bits here and there in the early stages of the qualifying. It was an absolutely epic week of sport, actually. And um, I'm the golf correspondent for Metro, so I was very much consumed with what was happening in the Masters at Augusta. And they also had a very big weekend, actually. Went up to, went up to Liverpool for uh, the Everton-Manchester United game and the Grand National. So I was very much um, focusing on other matches, sort of particularly during that weekend. But I was catching bits here and there. And I think it's fair to say there were some slogs, weren't there, Phil? There was, you know, especially early on in the qualifiers, it was, um, it was snooker for the purists, wasn't it? But what a lovely service to be able to see what you want, you know. And we probably won't say enough how lucky we are. So we should sort of say on this pod, to be able to sort of flick around and see those matches, even a few years ago, that would have been unthinkable. Yeah, I think that was in my mind because there was there was quite a lot of complaints about the sort of uh, patchy service, to be fair. And I think, I think that is right. You know, at, at times it was flicking onto black screens quite badly. Yeah. But I think, like you say, it was in my mind that until very recently, we couldn't see any of this, could we? So I, I was looking on the bright side of it as well. And, yeah, you could flick around to watch any matches you want. Well, until Judgment Day, that was that is slightly odd that you could only watch the four tables, I think, on Judgment Day when you could watch any game before that. Um, but, yeah, no, there's so much to see. Um, so I was reasonably forgiving for the uh, connection issues that were... Uh, nothing to do with Eurosport. They were the um, production company. But um, no, it, it, it's great that we can watch this stuff. Um, and yeah, to your other point, um, yeah, especially early on, um, they're plays you won't necessarily watch a lot of. And it's the highest pressure, highest tension part of the season. People are playing for the jobs. You know, um, if, I, if I was writing an article with my job on the line, with the TV cameras on me, uh, I'm not sure I'd uh, look very pretty doing it. So um, you can understand why uh, these players are struggling a bit. But it certainly got, um, as you got on, as you got further through and sort of the higher ranked players came in and the lower ranked players that were still going had warmed up a bit, um, the standard by then was excellent. But yeah, you know, there, there, there were one or two games that... Um, as you said a few times, we wouldn't be buying each other videotapes off for Christmas. Yeah, I keep using that gag, don't I? <laughs> not, not, not like me, I know, not to repeat jokes. But I have to say, I, yes, you're, you're right to mention the service going down a bit. Um, there, there were some great ones early on, but when you realise, you know, what I like about it, though, is there's that we're all in it together kind of feel. Well, I think it was Alan McManus and Joe Johnson doing one of the early ones. I forgot what match it was now. Could it have been a... An, might have been the Onyi game quite early, I think. Anyway, and uh, they, they were very much like, well, we can't see anything either. So we're really <laughs> sorry, but we're waiting. We're waiting. We don't know what's happening. And I kind of like that because a lot of times in the sort of history of sport, you know, when you lose pictures, the commentators will either be there or they, they have an element of telling you something still. Like, say you lost a line to a test match on Test Match Special back in the day, you know, 20, 30 years ago now, you'd have someone watching the pictures in London, they could still describe it, but there was none of that. You know, it's like, you know, we're, we're in it with you, you know, maybe different on Judgment Day. I had, you know, the, I'm not sure the pictures went down so much then, but obviously Rob Walker and Ken Doherty were there, weren't they? But, you know, I think the guys maybe commentating from a booth and, and, and there was an element of, you know, we're struggling as well. But, it, it, yeah, it was, it, it was frustrating. I think people sometimes lose sight a little bit of the bigger picture when they when they really go mad about things like that. But yeah, you know, you're right to point it out. It, it wasn't no, as smooth as it could be. I think I think I saw the word unwatchable thrown around. I think that was a bit too much. You know, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. You know, it wasn't great because it's a paid for service, isn't it? Like yeah. I was watching a sport player, so 
Uh, I'm not going to pretend it was ideal, but um, it could have been worse. And uh, yeah, no, I, I felt sorry for the lads on commentary because I must have heard uh, Neil Folds and Phil Studd and Dave Hendon apologise for that stuff 40 plus times, which, you know, that shows how bad it was, but um, it wasn't their fault. And they're the guys who had to keep uh, apologising for it. You know, it's always the people at the front of house who have to deal with the stuff, isn't it? Uh, yeah. And those are the guys who were taking the flack and having to say sorry. So I felt bad for those guys. But yeah, um, yeah, hopefully that, that won't happen next year. Indeed. Well, Judgment Day was was brilliant, really. I mean, I, I managed to catch one night, quite a lot of it live, and then the next night, a little bit later, after it had been shown. But again, that's the beauty of kind of modern technology. You know, the risk of saying like granddad here, you know, the, the <laughs> you can sort of watch it back a little bit later, flick around. And, you know, that that's really sort of, you know, something great. You can catch up on all the drama very easily. And well, there was lots of drama, wasn't there? I mean, goodness me. I mean, let's let's start with with Tuesday's uh, results then. I mean, Scott Donaldson won uh, 10-1 against Alan Taylor. I mean, that was very comfortable for Donaldson. Breaks of 1-3-2, uh, 96, 68 and 2-55 from him. Then he revealed that he hadn't been very well, unfortunately, he developed an essential tremor early in this season after getting his COVID vaccine. And it really left him in a, you know, in a very sound situation, actually, you know, he was shaking, uh, you know, throughout his body and he, he, he worried about, you know, you know, where his snooker was going, frankly. So this is a, a really big step for him. And we didn't know about any of this. So it was very interesting, wasn't it? And quite sad to hear. It was interesting. And um, yeah, he said it to Rob, didn't he? And then he came in the, the press room and sort of, spoke about it further, but he, he was also sort of saying he didn't want to talk about it too much, but um, while explaining a bit more, um, I'm not sure why he was sort of bashful about it because obviously, you know, it's not his fault. Um, I think it's because it, it was through, it may have been this, I don't want to put words in his mouth, obviously, but it's because it, it was a side effect of the COVID vaccine, but he made clear that he wasn't being anti-vax or anything, you know, it was just very unfortunate. But yeah, we didn't know anything about that. The sort of first few months of the season, he was really struggling for results. And it was because he was, yeah, shaked through his whole body. And uh, he said he could still play shots, but it just rocked his confidence so much. And then suddenly at the UK champs, it had gone again. And uh, uh, his forms got better and better. And he, he was excellent in qualifying. And uh, yeah, he's a really, really good player, Scott. Um, so uh, hopefully he can get back to his best because he was sort of not quite knocking on the door, but he was he was walking up the path to knock on the door for the top 16, certainly. Um, <laughs> and, uh, he dropped down a bit because um, of this year, um, so he's about 40 again, but um, he could certainly push his way back towards knocking on that door again, I think. Uh, yeah, I rate him really as a player. You're getting your first nice way of saying it for that. Um, <laughs> Lou Howsham beat Dominic Dale at 10-4. Jamie Jones beat Tom Ford 10-5. And then... Well, Tep Chayo on New 10, Matthew Selt 7. That was a real kind of interesting match. As was Michael White 10, Jordan Brown 8. I mean, I saw the end of that. And that was smashing. I mean, Jordan Brown will have some regrets. I mean, he, he had a black. He probably should have got to make it 9-9, frankly. But then Michael White potted a terrific black. And we'll come on to Michael White, who's got a very interesting game at the, at the Crucible in a, in, a, in a little while. But, it, you know, he's... A, yeah, everyone says it's become a cliche now that, you know, we have to question the use of the word amateur, really, with someone like that. He's a smashing player, isn't he? And um, I think he'll grace the Crucible. 
Yeah, I mean, great run from him. Um, no easy matches there. Fraser Patrick, Martin O'Donnell, Mark King, Jordan Brown. Um, you know, that's tricky for anyone. Um, but yeah, we know what he's got in his locker. We've seen it. He was a top 16 player. Um, he's had a mad career um, so far. Um, and, you know, there's no, nothing to say that he can't get back up there. He's only 30. Uh, he seems to have yeah. had a lot of ups and uh, ups and downs for a man of that age. Um, but hopefully, um, you know, he's great to watch. He's a likeable bloke. I've spoke to him a couple of times. Um, I spoke to him on Judgment Day, obviously. Um, and, yeah, I hope, I hope he can uh, make the most of this, being back on tour and push back up there because uh, he's super talented. And uh, he's had some off-table issues that he's spoken about. He spoke to me about there. There's a piece online that you can find. Um and um, he, I think he's over it. He, he was very, um, he gave a lot of credit to his girlfriend who um, over the last sort of six months to a year, I think, um, who's got him back on the right track and focused and everything. And uh, yeah, you know, sometimes it's true behind every, every good man, there's a great woman. And I think that's sometimes the case in snooker. So that, you know, there's some very good snooker wives and girlfriends out that keep the players on track. <laughs> oh man uh, I don't think we've actually spelled it out yet I'm sure people that follow you will, will know this all too well but you've actually been at the qualifiers haven't you I haven't I've been uh, distant watching it from afar like I'm sure the majority of people well, you've very much been there and not many journalists were so you had very good access didn't you and and you were sort of you know, saying to me off air which uh, I'd like to hear a bit more from you now it, it's as mad there as we imagined it because you won't get one result and then nothing much for now. Then everything happens. It must be so bewildering in a way. Yeah, it's funny being there. Yeah, I was just there sort of the, the two judgment nights, judgment days. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's like like you're watching it, you know, one game, like Wednesday night was a good example. Gilbert beat Hamilton quite comfortably. Um, so he was in quite early. And then you sat in the press room for an hour and a half maybe. And then suddenly... They all finish at once, bang, bang, bang. Um, you're busy interviewing someone while other games are finishing. So you're not you're not even certain which player is going to walk through the door because you've been chatting to whoever while something's at 9-9 nine, nine, and then you've not seen what's happened there. So, it, yeah, bewildering is a, is a good word, but um, I'm sort of used to it a bit now. But, um, yeah, it's, it's chaos for a while. Um, and Wednesday was like that, you know. Like I said, one game, then nothing for an hour and a half, then seemingly all seven other games all in a row and it was all done quite early um but yeah uh, chaos if that <laughs> i don't remember my first time doing something like that but i remember i, I imagine i was quite confused but <laughs> i'm uh, experienced enough to deal with it now hopefully <laughs> you you certainly seem to do brilliantly i have to say um just to say as well uh, and we got one email i think later on to reflect this we've had actually quite a lot of different messages and i've seen other forums express this it might have been not that many people there early on in qualifiers few more towards the end but the ones that have gone there and i noticed this from quite a few first timers they say it's actually a brilliant snooker experience and some of these are pretty regular fans and they're saying it's up there with any of their experiences actually and i can imagine that you know because it's so intimate there just from looking at you know some of the coverage that i've seen and it just feels like it's sort of the heart and soul of snooker in a way, isn't it? Because it is the jobs on the line thing. It's the getting to the crucible. It's, I mean, nothing, nothing beats the crucible. We'll, we'll come to that in all its glory. But there's something sort of, this is the sort of essence of the game, isn't it? And I can really see how those regular fans, especially the ones that might not have been qualifying before, are like, 
I'm going next year, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's for the hardcore, no doubt. But um, if you are a hardcore fan, uh, if you listen to this, I'm sure you are. Um, yeah, it's, it's perfect. You know, you see um, all sorts of players and some, you know, if they're not quite at the very top, they're not far off it. Um, you're right up there, small crowds, see some great stuff. You know, we saw a maximum. We've not mentioned that yet. Um, in, crazy stuff, really. Um, it's very cheap. And you, you've got a good chance of just bumping into players, knocking around. I was saying to you off air, I actually tweeted this, so it's no secret, but um, when I got there on Tuesday, first person I saw was walking through the door was Anthony Hamilton and went back outside and chatted to him for 20 minutes or so. And uh, the amount of people that interrupted our conversation very rudely to have a photo with him, <laughs> no, of course they would. Um, but uh, yeah, and then, you know, there's lots of people knocking around. Shout out, I bumped into George Wayman, and Craig Edwards. I'm sure um, I'm sure they'll be listening. I uh, had a nice chat with them. Um, but yeah, no, if, if you're... If you're a hardcore snooker fan, then these qualifiers are great value. See a lot of stuff, meet a lot of people. Great stuff. Well, I found myself an extraordinary mixture of sort of jealousy and delight, with delight probably winning 60-40 um, when, when I heard that, of course, you, you were approached. Uh, a fan of the pod. So I am basking a little bit in the reflected glory while also being sort of, you know, thinking you know, how lucky you are, but what a lovely moment. And, uh, you know, the, the podcast, you know, it is now really, you, when you ask for selfies, you really think, come on, we must be doing something right. <laughs> I must say, I must say that was uh, uh, asking for a photo with Anthony and I just happened to be there, but I yeah, chucked a photo with me as well. So why not? But um, no, that was a nice moment and uh, I'm sure he's listening. So nice to meet you there. That was great. Well, do you know what? I'm, you're right about the the one four seven not mentioned. I think we'll go to this correspondence now, actually, because it's, an, it's I think it's going to make sense. Uh, Dan on email. Hi, chaps. Apologies for moaning about the snooker qualifiers ticket website. Not your fault, of course, but you do have influence in bringing things to the attention of the right people. Well, the jury's out on that, but and thank you for saying it. I complained to several places and they fixed the website. Hopefully, this will have helped other people trying to buy tickets, like myself. Anyway, I booked up a sojourn. You don't hear that word enough, do you, by the way, sojourn? Lovely word, yeah. Smashing word. For the last three days at uh, the English Institute of Sport. I overslept on Monday and rolled in sometime past 11am. This is a cracking email, actually. <laughs> I took a seat, bang centre, in front of Graham Dot's match. Very next frame, one four seven max. Incredible. I have never seen one live. I know it's only the qualifiers, but the tension really ramped up as he got closer to doing it and then sunk the final black. Bloody hell, as Nick might say. Well worth eight quid. Now that is really good, isn't it, actually? This is me here, Nick, saying this. Eight, eight pounds, eight yeah. million pounds for that. That's, uh, it just makes you realise not only are the qualifiers sort of the essence of it, but it's bloody good value. Yeah, incredible stuff. And like I say, you're not, you know, there's some low-ranked players in there, but you're seeing some real high-quality stuff and some well-known names in there. So, yeah, no, brilliant stuff. He said, it was amazing to be amongst the 100 or so people there to see more snooker history. I went from thinking early on, and Max is on here, but he won't do it, to he's got a great chance, but something will go wrong. And then when he split the last few reds, to it'll be a massive cock-up now if he doesn't do it, when the tricky last red-black went in. A few years back, I also overslept 
when I arrived, I found out that Wembo had hit a maximum and missed the black for a second one. So it was great not to miss out this time. Keep up the great work with the podcast. We'll be listening to the broadcast whenever they come out over the championship. Regards, Dan. But that's smashing. And um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really matter if it's a one four seven in it in the you know in the exhibition. We should put out that Mark Williams didn't he get two in a row? By the way, I saw. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I can't remember the details, but it was it was something like nine frames, eight, eight centuries, and two uh, and two of them were maxes, and the last two were back to back. Yeah, uh, so uh, it, it's not. I was going to say it's irrelevant. It's probably not completely irrelevant, but it's it's not the world championship, is it? But he, he's he's hitting the ball well. I think we can say that. And I and I and I'm seeing a few little bets around, and a few people saying Mark Williams for the world title, and I would not disagree with that. You know. I really, I really would. We'll probably come to that. Um, we must go back to the results. Stephen Maguire, 10. Xiao Yulong, 7. Uh, really close, uh, that one. It was 8-7. Maguire finished well. Then these quotes from him. I had to show patience because I was gone. The last frame there, I was perfect in the balls three or four times. And I just kept seeing gravestones and skulls. <laughs> it was just hard. Snooker players understand what it's like. Well, we see a few gravestones and skulls when we do our <laughs> late night recordings, don't we, Phil, until whatever <laughs> the witching hour. It sounds like the kind of music I listen to, to be honest. I was, I was sort of <laughs> getting into that. Yeah. Um, no, he's got, <laughs> he's got a great turn of phrase, Maguire. I do like uh, do like listening to him, like talking to him. And uh, I, was, I was pleased to see him get through because it, um, it's going to be good to have him there. But I mean, we'll get to the draw. Um, that's a blockbuster one. It really I like the way we're still teasing the draw. It reminds me. It's ludicrously old-fashioned of us because people probably heard it about twelve hours ago. But you know when they have a there's a great goal that goes in the lunchtime game on the wireless, the BBC. They'll be like, "You'll want to see this on Match of the Day tonight." As if you know fans can't go to Twitter or or those other forms and see it instantly. You know the idea that we'll all wait till half past ten. I love that. In the yeah. way, of course, when I was a lad and I was growing up. You would have had to wait until that time, but you, you don't really now, frankly. Sometimes you want to, and it's bloody hard to manage that, to avoid things until you want to see the highlights. Indeed, indeed. The old likely lad scenario. Ding Jun Wee, 10. David Lilly, 7. Uh, Ding pulled away from 7-7 seven, seven there. And we've been saying for a while he's in better form. He seems to be. And uh, really showing that. And again, we'll come to what, what he's got at the Crucible. No one wanted to play him, and one unfortunate player did get that draw today. And well, uh, it was a good effort from Lily, though. I think he was 7-4 up there, wasn't he? And it looked like, I mean, that really would have been an enormous shock if he pulled that off. And fair play to Ding winning, yeah, six on the spin. But, uh, yeah, 7-4 Lily, that was looking, you know, that would have been the story of the qualifiers. But, um, yeah, fair play to Ding. No, no, very very much so. And the final result from that day, Ashley Hugill, 10, Joe O'Connor, uh, 7. That was the first debutant, I think, at that stage, wasn't it? I don't think I missed one out. The, the, the only one from the from the, the first day of Judgment Day. And Hugh Gill, uh, from York, isn't he, of course? Uh, my mm. old alma mater. So he won't be short of support, you would think, in Sheffield. Sorry? Lives in Sheffield now as well. So, yeah, he's, he's uh, an adopted... Uh, he said in his interview afterwards, he just describes himself as a Yorkshireman now. Because he's from York, lives in Sheffield, so he just says Yorkshire. I thought you all did that. Well, I, I mean, I do say, I say Sheffield, I say where I'm from, but I'm also very proud of Yorkshire as well. Uni and Leeds as well, so yeah, and support Barnsley. So I, I tick off a lot of Yorkshire boxes. <laughs> the, hasn't that been a theme of the last few Olympics where they're starting to do the Yorkshire 
medal. Was it the London Games where they were beating quite a few nations at one time? <laughs> I think it was the Yorkshire was sort of sixth or seventh in the medal table at one point. <laughs> Very good. And Ashley Hugo putting it down to hard work. Something that we know all about in journalism, of course, Phil. Uh, but but it just shows, you know, that that, uh, that that can pay off. And then it came to an end. And that was brilliant. But I think Wednesday was even more dramatic, you know. Uh, not the first result that I've got here, which is David Gilbert uh, 10, Anthony Hamilton 3. That was easy for Gilbert, really. It was 2-2 early on. I look at the scores earlier, but he, he pulled away from there. And it's great to see Dave make it. I mean... We have no favourites. I love Anthony Hamilton. I think we all do sort of love both. But there's something about Dave. And I'll come to the draw, you know. <laughs> and he was very honest. He didn't want the top player. <laughs> he didn't get what he wanted. But, um, but which I love as well, by the way, because I, you know, I made this point on social media. You know, nothing really against it with that old thing. Oh, I'll get, you know, I'll, I'll play who I play and... You know, you have to beat the best. Well, not if you avoid them. You know, you you, you know, you, you avoid them for a couple of rounds. You have to, you can put them off. You know, it's a lot. It's down to the draw. Um, but uh, that was a good, good, you know, a good win for him. And it feels like he hasn't quite hit the heights as I kind of thought he would this season after winning that ranking event early on. But you, you get the feeling that you know what sort of mood was he in when you spoke to him? Um, well, very pleased to get through, obviously. But um, he goes through ups and downs with the game, doesn't he? I'd, I'd say he's. Maybe he's coming out of a down, but he's certainly been in a down. Like he's not played much. Um, he didn't qualify for. I think it was Wales. He didn't go to Turkey either. And he says he hasn't. He hasn't been practicing much either because uh, he's been setting his club up in uh, swaddling coat uh, in Derbyshire. Um, but then he's been, he put in sort of ten days practice for this. He said he'd been practicing with Mark Selby, so um, that's good to hear that Selby was out there uh, playing. And uh, I'm sure hanging around with Dave will cheer him up. He's <laughs> he's uh, he's good to talk to. Um, and yeah, I mean, he, he sort of breezed through qualifying. Con- uh, considering he said he hadn't played much, wasn't loving it. You know, he beat his two rounds were six one against McLeod and ten three against Hamilton. And Hamilton uh, makes things tricky. Um, he I, when I, I mentioned I bumped into him, and that was before we played Gilbert and. Uh, Anthony was saying, you know, Gilbert's a great player to watch. He enjoys playing because it's a very open, free-flowing game. But, of course, I'll be trying to make it the opposite of that because that wouldn't suit his game. Um, but he couldn't do it. Gilbert was playing too well. So, um, yeah, no, Gilbert's uh, looking good. Um, tough one, which we'll get to. We're teasing it again, but um, he'll have to play very well. But he is playing well, so we'll see. We didn't actually tee it up, did we, between us, by the way? Anyway, we didn't, we didn't <laughs> say we'd keep it quiet, but we just seem to be heading this way. I don't know why. Um, keep, shoot, keep listening, folks. You'll, find, <laughs> you'll, you'll hear the draw that you heard originally 12 hours ago very soon. <laughs> um, Hossein Vafai, 10, Lay Pei Fan, 9. Now, that was a real highlight of Judgment Day. The 20th different nationality to represent it at the Crucible. An Iranian player at the Crucible. What a lovely moment for the game that is. A 54 break to win it in the decider from Hussein. And it was 61-61 when he potted the pink and then potted the black for uh, 68-61 in the deciding frame. So it doesn't get much better than that. And then he gave you some really explosive quotes for a proper old-school scoop from you. That Ronnie O'Sullivan, he says, sometimes disrespects the game and he thinks he should retire. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty mad stuff, really. Um, he'd actually 
he'd done an interview, I think, with World Snooker, and that's when he'd done, he said some interesting stuff about, you know, he was born to make history and he'd give his last blood to get to the Crucible. But he'd mentioned, uh, he'd mentioned some Ronnie quotes in that interview about how, you know, Ronnie said, uh, would say... Uh, players lower down the rankings, you know, I, I wouldn't encourage, they should go and get a different job, you know, he wouldn't encourage kids to play snooker, that kind of stuff. And then in his post-match again uh, on Wednesday, he, he mentioned something Ronnie said again. So, I, you know, I just said to him, it sounds like those, that, what Ronnie says frustrates you. And uh, he really sort of went off on one. Um, I didn't ask him much more after that. I and mean, you see, he sort of, uh, poured his heart out a bit. Uh, he, he's a very interesting bloke to speak to. He's got very interesting opinions. Um, and, it, you know, he was also saying that he's good mates with Ronnie. He likes him and he's a fan of his and they get on well. But, um, yeah, he's that, you know, those quotes were, as he said them, I just put it all in there. So, yeah, very interesting. <laughs> and uh, the kind of stuff you want on the eve of a tournament, a bit of a rivalry potentially bursting out of nowhere. I don't think anyone saw that one coming. Yeah, a few people have asked me what I think about them, and it, it sounds sort of bad to say, say not much, but but because I, I obviously you know I, if I actually thought think about it, they're, they're quite you know as I say explosive and interesting. But it's one of those where it, it was probably the excitement of the moment talking. I don't really think he thinks Ronnie should retire, does he? I mean, I know he said that, but if you actually you know you asked him tomorrow, he'd say, "Oh, I didn't quite mean it like that." Do you know one of those jobs? <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, I know exactly, and I think, funnily enough, they are quite Ronnie-esque quotes in yeah. terms of you know where he's coming from. He started making a fair enough point, and then he just went too far with it. Like yeah. the stuff about Ronnie being disrespectful and shouldn't talk down the game, shouldn't call people numpties. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Lots of people would agree with that. Mm. Um, going as far as saying he's retired, okay, you've gone too far there, and that's exactly. so many O'Sullivan interviews are like that. You know where he's coming from. He starts off all right. And then by the end, he's saying, I'd have to lose an arm and a leg to drop out the world's top 50. Whereas his first point was, there aren't that many good young British players in the game. You know, the, the point at the start was fine. By the end, it got a bit silly. So, yeah, it, it, they sort of reminded me of uh, Ronnie quotes, which is funny because he was sort of complaining about Ronnie quotes. So, yeah, it, it, was, an, it was a very interesting conversation. And it will be fascinating to see how Hossein Mufay fares in his big match to come at the Crucible. We'll talk about the draw coming up a little bit later. Jackson Page. Now, here's my tip to do quite good things this season, actually. So in a couple of places, he hasn't quite done it as I thought he might have done through this campaign. But this is a really big moment. Beat David Grace 10-6. And this was our second debutant, wasn't it? No, our third debutant because Hossein Mufay is there. Sorry, third now. Um, a big moment for him, uh, 20 years old. And you talked uh, earlier on about, I think you said Michael White, but I mean, it's a similar thing in, in a younger sense to Jackson Page. Feels like he's been around for, for sort of for a long, long time. Still only 20. And yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how he fares at the Crucible. He's a he's a he's a smashing player to watch when he's when he's on song. And he got the better of David Great, David Grace there. And well, it. He won't be short of support there, I know. And a lot, lot of Welsh guys, the Crucible this year is another, another, another big theme. And But this is, um, I think it's six, isn't it? So the, the most, I think, for 30-odd years. And uh, it'll be good to see how he, and interesting to see how he gets on, won't it? Yeah, so Mark Williams tweeted, the Welsh snooker is back. And uh, that's good to see, yeah. I mean, um, 
you know, Matthew Seams will get to. He's, he's not an upcoming player, but Jackson Page certainly is. Um, you know, he's, like you say, he's been spoken about for a while. But that's because he got, uh, was it two wins at the Welsh Open when he was 15? So um, I suppose it's been around five years. But um, to make a Crucible debut at 20 is, is still very, very good. It doesn't, because he's been around so long, it doesn't feel like he's burst on the scene like that. But it's still amazing. And, you know, I mentioned earlier, um, Sean O'Sullivan, Ash Carty, Joe Perry and David Grace. Four excellent wins. Um, so, yeah, uh, he's got big aspirations in the game. I, I spoke to him a while ago. That must have been 18 months, two years ago. And he was he was saying how he, he not expects, but his aim is to be a top player. He's not there to make up the numbers. And uh, he's on a good trajectory. And, you know, he dropped off tour last season. So any for any of those guys we mentioned earlier um, who are going to Q school, he, he stormed back through it and he's at the Crucible this year. So, yeah. Um, it, not necessarily a bad thing if you have to come back to EQ school. Yeah, exactly that. And of course, we know how Mark Williams has talked him up for a lot of years. Mark's sort of played with him. And also, one of the reasons I think I've, I was thinking more about Jackson was he made a few encouraging noises in, in the interview, certainly when he went through Q school. I think he's knuckling down a bit more, isn't he? I think, you know, and he's only 20, bloody hell. But, you know, he, he, an awful lot of guys on the snooker circuit it took a lot longer than that to knuckle down if you, if you get my drift. But, you know, he, he he's sort of um, really applying himself more on the practice table. I think that's coming through in his results this season as well. So it will be it will be interesting to see how he gets on the Crucible, as it will for Jamie Clark. Now, that was one of the moments of Judgment Day. My goodness me. I, I had some fun with that, putting that image out myself. And, and that clip of him putting a treble to beat Graham Dot and then sort of, Diving on the floor. I'm not sure Wayne Dot would have been that delighted with that, but that was proper emotion. And Jamie Clark's one of those guys, you know, he, things happen to him, don't they? Or th- things happen around him. So, you know, what whatever else he's up to at the Crucible, keep an eye on Jamie Clark because he's a. Uh, we normally find a story, don't we, with him? <laughs> yeah, and he loves it. He was uh, he was saying that. So it's his, it was his debut at Crucible two um, two years ago when he. Amazingly, beat Mark Allen despite Allen making five. I think it was five tons, and then then the real drama against Anthony McGill, where he was seven two up and lost after that shenanigans. And the, if you want to dance, let's dance. It was it was a lot. I remember. I always think that he went further than two rounds because there's so much stuff happened that it felt like he was sort of a quarter finalist, semi finalist, but went out in the second round. But he got a lot of drama into that time, which. You know, hats off to that. I mean, you know, obviously we're journalists, we want stuff like that, but fans want that stuff. It's great. And that's what he was saying when he got through yesterday, that um, he'd do it all again. He doesn't regret any of it. He'll he'll do it more, that kind of stuff. He loves the media attention. And that's great. You know, more characters in the game. And uh, he's clearly, you know, he doesn't show it all the time, but he's clearly a great player because we mentioned before 6-0 Gary Wilson. Even his first qualifying match against Xi Jiaohui, Who's won the World Amateur Championship a couple of months ago? You know that it, that was one to avoid in the second round of qualifying, and he came through in a decider. And that's when he gave it the big get in there, uh, which was getting shared around on social media as well. Um, and I must say, a couple of people saying they had a problem with that. In my mind, these all opinions, no problem with that at all. And I don't even know why an opponent would have a problem with that. You know, if I was playing someone and lost in a black ball decider, you know, they're bound to celebrate. It's a huge game. That was for his tour card as well. You know. Mm. Going back to what we were saying before, you're playing for your job. 
you're allowed, you're allowed to celebrate quick celebrate shake your hand yeah i don't see any problem with that at all um so yeah jamie clark is a is a player to watch um as you say things happen around him i think that's a good way of saying it oh i finally got one <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that was i i, had, I don't normally differ i thought it was quite loud but yes he didn't do it in the opponent's face. So this is it's an emotional game. And did he come out on Twitter, I think, and say himself he was playing for his job? I think, yeah. I think he might have done. And yeah, yeah, but fair way, fair way of saying it. Um, two guys through that have been there twice before, Chris Wakelin and Liam Highfield. Chris Wakelin beat Jimmy Robertson 10-7. Liam Highfield beat one Sijun uh, 10-7. And a really good win for Nopon Sankamp uh, against Robert Milkins, 10-8. Uh, because we know what Milkins has been doing lately, Phil. He was going there on a, on a high. So that was a, that was a hard one to call beforehand, wasn't it, really? We thought that would go close. I think so, yeah. And because Milkins had a really good win over County Penn in, in the previous round, um, that would have seemed like a 50-50-ish uh, game. Uh, Nopon is really good, though. I really rate him. Um, I think he, I don't know what's he, what number, I think he's 38 in the world or something like that, but he feels like he should be higher. Um, and yeah, he was, he's someone you don't really want to <laughs> play at any time. He can beat anyone, really. Um, so yeah, uh, I think Milkin's quite honest after that. I saw him tweeting today saying 10 8, flattered him. <laughs> um, he didn't feel like he was uh, really sort of matching Noppon throughout that game. He was scrapping away, but uh, yeah, um, Noppon's an excellent player. So uh, no shame in losing to him from, from Milkins. I think uh, he's probably still just loving life after that big win the, the other week. Yeah, no, quite right. And then the last game was Matthew Stevens 10, Ali Carter 8. Well, both both those guys have, have been in two world finals. Which, you know, so they, they, that really was the battle of two very experienced players. And yeah, I saw a, a bit of that towards the end, proper old tablecraft in, in operation there. Ali Carter very sporting about it, even though, you know, he would have been uh, bitterly disappointed. But he's a nice player, Matthew Stevens. Even now, he, he's lost something of that of that sort of top-level quality. Of course he has, but he's just got enough in reserve that he can still be a sort of danger. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, look, I, th- I think he's, he's sort of open in that he doesn't necessarily the year round put, put the work in that he needs to. But when it comes to the crucible, he does. And... Uh, you know, that shows beating out just beating Ali Carter in one game is tough, but he, he beat um beat Gerard Green, Green and Sam Craigie six one each on the way to there, which takes him doing as well. I mean, he'd probably favor against Green, but um, he'd be, he was the lower ranked player playing Sam Craig, Craigie and to beat him six one, very impressive. And uh, yeah, no one gets an easy night out against Ali Carter. Um, so yeah, great, great three wins for him and uh. Yeah, I mean, I've said a, f- a few times on here, you know, Alan McManus was my favourite player as a kid, but I think after McManus, it was Stevens uh, around sort of the turn of the millennium. I was a big Matthew Stevens fan. He was brilliant to watch. Uh, that red streak in his hair did something for a young Phil Haig. <laughs> uh, yeah, great player, still brilliant to watch. And uh, yeah, I think he even said himself that he should have won more. So I don't, I don't really like saying that about players, but when they say it themselves, then it's fine. But uh, yeah. Um, could, could have won a lot more, I think, really. He's, he had the talent. Yeah, I mean, he's he's won some really big ones, of course, as we know. But, yeah, you do feel that... Uh, I mean, he, he should's a big word in sport. I mean, the Williams one, he was a long way ahead, wasn't he, in that world final? And then, of course, Murphy came back to win it when Murphy won it in 05. So, yeah, it's one of those 
we would always think first and foremost of Jimmy White, won't we? When we think of people that obviously should have won it but didn't, Jimmy's top of the list. But Matthew's right on there as well, you know, because, you know, Ali Carth was in two finals, but he lost those quite easily, actually. And he played Ronnie both times, obviously very unlucky in many ways. But yeah, Stevens had those leads and fine career, of course. But, you know, you get the feeling that uh, there's, like, like a lot of players, there's, there's sort of some bad stuff happened during the Crucible, kind of memories-wise. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's not even just the World Championship. He's won one, one rank, ranking title, which is just bananas, really, isn't it, for a player of that quality? I know he's won the Masters and he won some of the very good non-ranking tournaments, but... Um, the idea of a player of that quality that was at the top of the game for that long to win one ranking title is uh, is bizarre. Um, but yeah, uh, he sort of, uh, he, I think he's been quite open. He he he, he likes uh, the other side of life, um, and he he spent more time in the pub than he probably should have done. But he's happy with that. I listened to him on the World Snooker podcast, and he was sort of saying, you know, it's not everything to me. I was happy with my the way I chose to enjoy myself and that wasn't always playing snooker and, you know, fair enough. It's not uh, it's not all about titles for everyone. Have you noticed when they ask on the World Snooker Tour podcast about the best players for a night out, have you noticed how often he features on that? <laughs> it's always him and Maguire. <laughs> I've never had a night out with Matthew Stevens and Stephen Maguire, but I'm sure it'd be very good. Yes, that, the, the, the words quiet night in the library um, <laughs> do not apply there. Well, uh, let's say that it was brilliant fun, Judgment Day. Rob Walker and Ken Doherty did, did an admirable job in keeping the whole thing running over. And actually, it's compelling. I think any sport, I mean, I was looking to NFL Red Zone, but the BT do it for European football nights. Any event where you're switching from action here to another place, I think just works in sport. Can't we do it all the time in snooker? It's, it wouldn't be the same. But the way Judgment Day matches are timed, there are those periods of sort of an hour or two when matches are coming to an end. And it's just, it's great theatre, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And it gets tricky at times. There was one yesterday, I can't remember what game it was, but um, they went to them because they're, oh, they're on the colours. And they were on the brown for about 20 minutes. And they were like, oh, We've got to stick with it now because we've been with it so long, which is a snooker. I think you feel like a snooker fans when you get to that situation. But things started happening at other tables. Like, should we go over there? Well, we've been here so long, we don't want to miss what happens. But um, yeah, no, it's great. And those two, um, you need Rob Walker's energy to get through that. Um, they're long hours those two spend over those two days. It's a brilliant effort. And they're both great. Um, and I think they, they really do a good mix of... Obviously, there's so much snooker going on, you you have to talk about that and you, you can't get bored of the snooker, but throwing in daft chats about which biscuits they like and stuff. I think they've got a really nice balance of keeping it lighthearted and stuff, answering people's tweets, you know. Uh, yeah, I think any snooker fan who watches that loves it, So, it, and me included. Definitely. And that was um, Tuesday and Wednesday, Judgment Day, and we came to the draw. This morning, Thursday morning in the UK. Shall we read it out, Phil? For all these people that have been waiting for an hour into the Talking Snooker podcast to hear the World <laughs> Championship draw, they can finally learn it. <laughs> well, I think it's a cracking one. And one of the best ones probably for, for quite a few years, actually. It's a terrific combination of matches. And these are the 16 matches we can look forward to. Mark Selby against Jamie Jones. 
Yan Bing Tao against Chris Wakeling, Barry Hawkins against Jackson Page, Mark Williams against Michael White, it's Kyron Wilson, Ding Jun Wee, Stuart Bingham against Lou Haoshan, Anthony McGill against Liam Highfield, Judd Trump against Hossein Bafai, Neil Robertson, Ashley Hugill, Jack Lasowski against Matthew Stevens, Luca Purcell against Nopon Sankam, John Higgins against Tep Chaya Anu, Xiaoxing Tong against Jamie Clark, it's Sean Murphy, Stephen Maguire, Mark Allen, Scott Donaldson, and Ronnie O'Sullivan v. David Gilbert. There are some crackers there, Phil. There are four or five top-level matches, actually, almost unmissable. Then there are three or four intriguing ones underneath that, and even the sort of so-called lesser ones that don't quite catch fire in this, or you'll catch your imagination in the same way, they're interesting as well. It's a really good mix. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that happened last year. I can't remember what it was, but there, there were certainly ones, a couple of ones that, as you said, were the, the less blockbuster ones, and they were great. I can't remember what they were now, and I'm not going to just guess, but yeah, they're all brilliant, and there's some real, real standouts. Um, I mean, the obvious ones are Russell and Gilbert, Ding against uh, Kyron Wilson, Trump against Fai. I'm, I'm going to end up naming all of them here, but yeah, I suppose they're three big ones. Um, but yeah, there's there's no bad ones. There's no, there's none that you think. Uh, right, I'll uh, I'll turn the TV off for a day when they're playing. Yeah, no, it's, it's it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Mark Williams, Michael White, definitely one that comes to my mind. But the one I think is the most intriguing for me is Jack Lazowski, Matthew Stevens. I can't entirely explain why. I, I just think it's a very interesting mixture and a, a, an unpredictable result and one that really could go deep. So I'm really looking forward to that one. But listen, we'll kick off with Mark Selby, the defending champion. I saw an interview with him. I don't know if you saw it during the draw. Yeah. And he is in good sort of form, I think. He, he's saying that he's, you know, in a better place than he was. You know, he's seeking the help he, that, he, that he needed and it's a long road ahead. But he did say, as we sort of suggested many times, that speaking out was almost half the battle. And he's, you know, we, I've seen pictures of him practising, you mentioned doing so with Dave Gilbert. And, you know, he's, he, he might still, he's a bit of an unknown quantity. I've written a, a very nice, um, hopefully, for the uh, piece for the programme, and it's very nice. I've read it. I can confirm. <laughs> I think I mean to say very nice there, but it's getting quite late. Um, uh, and uh, I think David Hendon, who kindly helped me with the article, used the words unknown uh, quantity. And in a way, that's a good, good way of saying it, because even though it's Mark Selby, he kind of is. I mean, I wrote in Metro, um, it's more than seven weeks since he last played. Um, but you know, as Dave also says in the article, you know, it will know a lot on the first Saturday. If he plays well and wins well, if you get the feelings back, he'll then have a break. You know, you can play yourself into this tournament. Having said that, I think it's an awkward one, Jamie Jones. There were, there were better players for him to get, I think, to be honest. I mean, I'd forgotten that he reached the quarters 10 years ago. I had a look back at that. I mean, you know, he's got some crucible experience, Jamie Jones, really good player. And it's one of those where Selby has, he's lost once or twice, I think, on the first day, isn't he? But he's been on in real scraps as well. One against Tom Ford, I think. 
but he's been in some real scraps over the years and this could get like that but it's one of those you just want to get through I think I'd just favour him to get through in a really close one but it's a fascinating match It is uh, I really rate Jamie Jones I think he's he's a great player um, and his, his ranking is sort of false because he was off the tour wasn't he he's, he's had, to be fair he's not had a great season but um, he, he's sort of in the crucible player bracket is a funny one, isn't it? Because sometimes you can get that without actually winning that many games in Sheffield. But if you win the win the right ones, you get given the tag. And I suppose because he's done it better at the crucible than he has at other places, he's sort of in that category. But uh, yeah, no, he's a scrapper and he's a really good player. And yeah, you're right. We don't we just don't know about Mark Salby really. Um, I've written a sort of tournament preview that's going out on Friday and. I'm not sure if this is right, but I've sort of likened it to Wayne Rooney going to the 2006 World Cup with his fractured metatarsal. You know, right. he's not match fit. Mark Selby is not match fit. Uh, it's mental rather than physical, but he's not there. Um, um, it, h- how ready can he be? Can he work his way into it? Can he gain match fitness at the tournament? Maybe he can, but we just don't know. We know he's not going to be at his very best. I think we can say that in the first round. Can he get into it and build up later on, as we hoped Rooney would that time? You know, get through the group stage and see if he can get his back, get back to the best in the knockouts. Um, so yeah, I mean that's uh, probably quite a poor analogy that I used, but yeah, we just don't know until we we'll see. But he could come out and knocking, start knocking in uh, big breaks, and uh, we could forget about it all quite quickly. But um, I agree, Jamie Jones, a very tough task, and I think. It'll be close either way. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> I think there are, there are many sort of genius parts of this tournament that make it work. And I think one of them is definitely the champion play in the first morning and the first evening. It's it's a brilliant it's a brilliant uh, formula that, that's worked for decades. You know, and we've seen so many. You know, you you forget. You know, I remember as a boy, Dennis Taylor putting the the cloth on his top of his cue is sort of like surrender. I think Mike, Mike Hallett beat him when Dennis was champion. Champions do always come unstuck. I mean, we often focus on the first time ones, but it, it doesn't matter who they are. And Bingham, not so long ago, and he won it. He won out. I think Ali Carter. It, it's really hard. There's a lot of pressure on the champion, isn't there? Because, I mean, maybe the expectation will be dialed down this time for Selby because of, you know, what he's going through. But there is that sort of feeling. We are the champion. Go, go and show it, type thing, isn't it? It's it's hard. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a really unique situation with Mark this time round because the Crucible is his his sort of place, isn't it? Yeah, that's where he's at his best. Um, so that might can do something back up. But I mean, if we're just looking at playing uh, his results this season. You know, they're, they're not results of someone who's going to win a world championship, not even close. Um, but it's Mark Selby. He's a world champion. He's amazing. So, yeah, <laughs> so it is, we don't know. Any, anyone sounding very confident about picking that match um, is guessing and they're pretending to be confident, I think, because no one knows. We'll just have to wait and see. Uh, definitely. And we really look forward to that one, as we do Yan Bing Tao against uh, Chris Wakelin. Well, I'm going to have to go for Yan here because I kind of fancy Yan might go deep. I mean, to me, he has all the attributes of um, a potential crucible champion. I mean, I definitely have a few doubts in the sense that he lost that final so heavily this season. I mean, that whitewash final. 
but he's playing a, a Chris Wakeley who's never won at the Crucible before. I think Yan Bintao has all, all the right elements to his game and his character to do well in a tournament like this. Brilliant temperament, as we know. So I kind of expect him to win this one. I sort of think maybe sort of 10-6, 10-7. What are you saying? Yeah, I think Chris Wakelin's a really like improving player. I do quite like him. He's he's sort of done, you know, the, the John Higgins huge weight loss. I think he's lost sort of three or four stone as well. But obviously, you know, it's Chris Wakelin, not John Higgins. So we don't talk about it so much. But um, he feels that's really helped his game. And that was since... since the last crucible as well. So over a short amount of time, really. Um, yeah, I think he's he's good. Um, he's improved a lot. He's still not as good as Yan Ming Tao. Um, so I, w- I would expect Yan to win. He's had a funny season, Yan. He's, he's come quite close a few times, um, a few semis. Obviously, that final that you mentioned, <laughs> real pain. Well, I don't know how painful it was, really, but it looked like it would be a painful loss, losing 9-0. But, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's been said a few times that he looks like he's bound to win a world championship at some point. We know how daft that is a thing to say. You can't guarantee anything, but I still think he will win a world championship at some point. I'm not saying it's this year, um, but I think it will happen at some point. I don't think Chris Wakelin's going to win a world championship at some point, so I think that's fair to say. I'll, I'll back Jan, Jan for this one. Yeah, definitely. And I think I would probably lean towards Barry Hawkins against Jackson Page because you mentioned that crucible player. I mean, if you had to say who was top of that list of being a crucible player, probably be Kyron Wilson or Barry Hawkins, wouldn't it? I mean, in terms of the fact that they, I mean, they both do well in other tournaments, to be fair. So maybe you look at someone like Anthony McGill, who almost just does better there than anywhere. Maybe he's the ultimate one, but it's between those kind of guys. Barry Hawkins, you know, we said it all before. We don't mean, you know, we often don't, recognise what he's doing and mention him and he'll go about his business quietly. And I think he'll probably win this match a bit quietly, actually. Um, but um, Jackson Page is such an exciting player. You know, it'll be great to see him there. I think it's a bit, it's a meeting between a player with loads of crucible experience against none. Mm-hmm. You know, as a player with a little bit less experience, I might fancy Jackson a bit more, but I think Barry Hawkins has sort of been there you know, seen it all, worn the T-shirt, loves that venue. So I think, you know, it's it's a struggle to see this one being an upset. Nothing would surprise me. But I think this one you've probably got to go with experience. <laughs> I think so. The thing with Paige is such a, like, a rapid-fire attacking, free-flowing player. If he got on a roll, you know, he could really just rack up frames quite quickly. But Hawkins is the kind of guy that could put the brakes on that however he wanted to. Um, Hawkins got a, uh, like a real like, half-and-half crucible record, hasn't he? I think he lost in the first round the first five times he went there, but hasn't lost in the first round since. And that is, I think, 10 years. He's not lost a first round for 10 years. Yeah, 11, actually. Sorry, I just counted that up. He's not lost a first round for 11 years, which is quite remarkable, really, isn't it? Because that everyone's susceptible in the first round. Um, so yeah, I mean, so Paige would have to break break that streak. Um, he's good enough. He'll probably do some spectacular stuff. I think I would lean towards what you said as well. I'm not quite ready to say he's going to do it, but um, I think we'll see some really good stuff from Jackson because uh, winning all those games and qualifying, winning them well, he's going to be full of confidence. 
and hopefully the nerves won't get to him. Um, he's a he's a super calm, cool, relaxed customer. Um, I don't know if he, he was always like that or he's learned it off Williams, but he has that sort of similar demeanour. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be close. I do think it'll be close, but, uh, yeah, Hawkins to edge it, probably. You're better at doing the double screening than me, but I have managed to get this up on my phone. And I had to say, I thought it was even more than this. He's been in one table five times. I thought it might have been even more than that. That's still obviously bloody good. And, I mean, we'll come to, to Mark Allen. Mark Allen's been in the one table one time. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And I think Mark Allen's a better snooker player than Barry Hawkins, actually. Uh, I don't know if that's too dramatic a statement or not. I don't know. I'll have to look over their stats and career, but that's my gut feeling about it. Mark Allen's a better snooker player. And yet, you know, <laughs> it's all opinions, of course. You know, five times one table, it's it's quite stunning. I mean, he really is, you know, the archetypal crucible player of mm. Barry Hawkins. And um, but you know, it's funny, isn't it? Because we said it so many times, he has to get to sort of deep before we start noticing him. Perhaps we'll make a concerted effort to, to keep our eye on Hawkins this time, eh? <laughs> well, I think he said it himself, he has belief problems and he's has the whole time. So he can beat he can he can beat players that he should beat. Um, I think he struggles when he comes up against the bigger players and, you know, there's going to be endless examples of where he's beaten big players because he's been around so long. But, yeah, I mean, he's admitted that himself. He struggles with thinking he can get over the line. You know, that showed in those two finals he's been in this year. He didn't, he didn't really get close. Um, but, yeah, no, we, <laughs> he's an immensely popular player. Um, Barry's a very likeable man and uh, uh, I'm sure he'll do well again this year because uh, this is a place that he does very well all the time. What are you thinking about Mark Williams, Michael White then? I mean, this is um, a really interesting one. And actually, there's, there's history at this stage. White beat Williams in 2016-10-6. Yeah, exactly. And he's going he's, he's gonna to be loving it, White. He's going to be confident, um, almost a free role. Like he's, I think getting back on tour was his, is his job, and he's done that. So um, this, is, this is a bonus. But... You mentioned it earlier. I don't. I haven't made a tip. I, if I was putting a bet on, then to win the world championship, it would be on Mark Williams. Um, not necessarily because I think he's most likely to win, but his odds are easily the best of someone who I think could win. If that makes sense, do you know what, what I mean? The, what are the odds? He's something like thirty-three to one, forty to one, which is mad to me. Um, it might be 33 at the minute. I think it was 40. It might have come in in a bit. But um, for the season we've had and how unpredictable it's been and the doubts that are on over all the top players, even the best player at the minute, Neil Robertson, has significant crucible doubts. Um, I think you could make a case for all sorts of people. And for someone like Mark Williams to be at that price, he's the one I'd be putting my money on. So... Uh, having said that, I'm going to have to back him to beat Michael White, but it'll be a good game and Michael White will play well because I think, as I said, he'll have some freedom because his, his important work is already done. Yeah, exactly. They know each other well and I think it'll be a really intriguing match. It's interesting with Williams, you know, he won that tournament early in the season at British Open and it strikes me, you know, that he's been really close to having... A wonderful season. He, he lost that master semi-final that was ridiculous, really. Mm. I mean, Robertson needed a snooker, didn't he? 
he had that epic match against Ronnie at the Tour Championship, which he could easily have won, went to a decider. Yeah. So it just feels like sort of thin margins with him. And, he, you know, he's, gone, he's had a very good season, but it could have been brilliant. He, do, he does look so good at times. And, you know, I, I, I wrote in my Metro preview that with all the class of 92, there's the, there's the sort of thing, can they last a marathon? But my gut instinct is they sort of can. They sort of still can. Um, you know, Ronnie only won it two years ago. Only four years ago, the Williams won it. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I can I can see where you're coming from there. I can see, certainly in terms of those those odds. And he, he he just looks in lovely form, doesn't he? Every time you sort of see him, my, my worry would be that he's sort of losing those very close matches that, that go all the way. But you know, he only needs to flip a couple of those around, and you know, he, he could go deep. It's a funny one, though, too, because that Masters semi-final and that loss to Ronnie look like unbelievably painful losses. But if there's one person that won't feel that, it's him. Yeah. Um, but also, like, he, he should have won them both. That Robertson won, he definitely should have won. And he was 40-odd points ahead against Ronnie. Um, so even if they're not painful, was he struggling to get over the line there? Because, you know, I... I like I say, I think he should have won them both, really, having got into that position. But um, you know, we've got to take what he says. I, I think it won't it won't be bothering him. Um, yeah, and he's he's playing brilliant stuff. He's still one of the very best players in the world. Um, and it, it's crazy to me that people I think, you know, I think Zhao Jintong's shorter odds for the world championship than Mark Williams, which um, makes no sense to me at all. Um, nothing against Zhao Jintong, he could win it, but in my mind, Mark Williams is much more likely to win it than Zhao Jintong. Yeah, especially what we saw from Zhao at the Tour Championship and his inability to close that match out against Higgins, eh? Um, well, Kyron Wilson, Ding Jun Wee, I mean, a bit of a second of a Kyron, really. I mean, no, no, no one wanted to play Ding, I don't think. I mean, to me, whether this match hits the heights depends mostly on Ding. I think when, what sort of ding turns up, We, I think I sort of know what sort of Chiron will turn up because you kind of always get the same kind of Chiron, give or take. He hasn't actually had a brilliant season, Chiron, but he's a crucible player. He plays well in this tournament. You can normally sort of have a certain faith in Chiron, but I just don't quite know about ding. I think he's doing really well. You know, the evidence is there in recent uh, sort of weeks and maybe the last couple of months. But, um, you know... Just, this is a really big match for him, despite his vast experience, because he's come through qualifying. Uh, I'm inclined to think that the sort of the absolute, if Ding really turns up and plays well, he's he's sort of obviously brilliant enough to turn Kyron over. So I'm finding this an absolutely intriguing match, and it's one of those where I, I, it's a bit of a flip of a coin. I can't really call it. Yeah, it is. Um... And Ding was on the other end of this last year, wasn't he? Because Ding was the seed and got Bingham, who was the one that oh, yeah. everyone wanted to avoid. Um, and that went to a decider, 10-9 to Bingham. And I feel like something similar is coming this time, isn't it? I think that, that's got decider written all over it. Um, I think if Kyron had a better season, then I'd be favouring him. But he's had his probably his poorest season for two or three years, hasn't he? But um, And Ding's not at his best, but he's getting back there. Kyron will be brilliantly prepared for this. If I had to lean one way or the other, I'd say Kyron, but I think it's going to be 10-9. Yeah. <laughs> that reminds me, actually, a 
an, an old an old journalist friend of mine was was potentially speaking to Kyron and, and asking about potential angles. And I was saying, you know, one interesting thing is, I spoke to Kyron just before the Masters, and he just turned thirty. He had a very good Christmas. Was looking forward to it. Uh, but he was making the point that he's always improved incrementally. He's always got better. And you look at his statistics over the years, and he's pretty much right on that. Until now, he hasn't this year. He's regressed just a little bit. Didn't get in the Tour Championship. That was a big deal, I think. So, yeah, there, there are a few things about Kyron. I mean, I'm loath to say too much. He can go win this tournament, no question about it. But I just wonder... If it, it feels to me like there's a little bit of a tipping point over the next sort of year or two, is Kyron really going to go on and be one of those players that sort of wins big? Or is he going to be one of those that's always kind of knocking on the door but never quite getting there? Do you know what I mean? It's going to be interesting, I think. I do you know what I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, he's certainly not had the season that he would hope for. Um, he, he, you know, he's, I mean, this effectively doesn't mean a lot, but he's second on the century list, one behind Neil Robertson. So. I mean, he could point to that as an improvement. Uh, he's excellent at making centuries. Um, there's a final in Gibraltar, a couple of semis. It's not been a bad season, but yeah, I think you're right. He has he has been improving, improving, and this has not been a better season than last. Um, yeah, is I think is he ever going to be the best player in the world, or even in the top sort of two players in the world? Probably not. And that I don't want that to sound a bad thing because I think he'll be in the top 10 players in the world for years um, and he'll pick up tournaments here and there. Um, and I think that's sort of, that's going to be him in the game and it's a brilliant spot to be. And especially if one of those, one or two of those tournaments are world championships and judging by how he's played at the Crucible so far in his career, they could well be. So, um, yeah, it's just the kind of player he is, isn't he? He's unlikely to be ever be classed as sort of, you know, the, the very, very, very elite. Maybe he can, that might be wrong, but um, he's probably going to be in around sort of four to ten in the world for his whole career, and that's brilliant. Um, but we'll see. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. And, you know, he could end up world... I think if he wins it and people go go out at the right, right time for him, he could end up world number one at the end of this tournament. So what I could, what I've just said could be complete rubbish. <laughs> I think what a lot of us, both of us say on this podcast, <laughs> well, it feels like we're, we're actually going at quite a nice pace, but we're still doing a marathon, which is, which is very talking snooker, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is the podcast you're listening to. And thank you for being with us here with uh, Phil Hague and Nick Metcalf. And we're talking through the first round of the World Championship, which is underway on Saturday. And we can't wait. And Stuart Bingham, Lou Haoshan, is next and well Stuart's not had a good season has he that's the thing to say about him <laughs> yeah su surprisingly poor because yeah, there's a good argument to say he was the best player at the last world championship he played some amazing stuff um, came through qualifying of course and uh, gave Selby a run for his money in that semi-final um, yeah he was excellent um, and I expected him to sort of not really kick on. Well, yeah, yeah, kick on, I suppose, but get back to how he was before because he had a poor season before that. Um, but yeah, just just uh, one semi final at the World Grand Prix, and um, he got to the final of the Championship League, but 
yeah, yeah, that is what it is. Um, but yeah, didn't qualify for the for the tour. He didn't qualify for the players. I think is that right? Yeah, I didn't I think he did. He made the top sixteen one. So yeah, very poor season by his standards. So um, it's going to be a tricky one. Luka Shanza, interesting player, never gets talked about. Um, I think when he qualified, some people were saying, like, you know, has he been at the Crucible before? This is going to be his third appearance. So um, he sort of he tailed he tailed off a bit of the last two seasons, but he's been to been to a couple of semi-finals before, um, been to the final of the Indian Open. Um, so yeah, he's a very talented player, and he's been through um, the qualifying. So he's sharp. I mean, I'm sure Stuart would be sharp. He won't have not been playing. But Liu Hashan's played three. Um, tricky games, Yu Shi, Lu Ning, and Dominic Dale, and beat Dominic Dale 10 4, um, which takes him doing so close. I think that'd be close. I'm not ruling out the upset there. No, I, I know what you mean. I mean, Stuart really hasn't hit the heights at all. It's, it's that pattern of guys that did well at the last world championship not really taking it into this season. I mean, we know the you know issues that Mark Selby's had, but you know. His performances on the table were nothing to write home about this season. Um, you know, same with Kyron, really. Who was the other semi? Murphy, of course, got to the final. He's done nothing this season, really. And Nors Bingham, it's an odd one, which goes to show, again, what, and I'm telling myself this as much as anybody else. Remember, this tournament is, in its own right, something completely different. And we look at form throughout the season, but you can bet your bottom dollar in the days to come, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, as we head into this tournament, there'll be guys that have been brilliant in the last few months that look quite ordinary and guys that have done almost nothing that play out their skin. It's just this tournament. It, it, it's a funny one like that. So, you know, you're right. Lou Haushan has come through a lot of those good, good, you know, good matches that qualifies a really good win against Dominic Dale in the final match. So, you know, Stuart looks quite, you know, quite vulnerable there really, but then he didn't really expect much room last year and he was excellent at the tournament so again it's one of those ones and it we talk about players feeding off the memories of that place well no more than than Stuart he's won there he got the semi there last year you know he loves that arena he often comes alive in that arena so yeah really really interesting match that hard one to call I'd say um I mean that sorry that's one that I've sort of li- I've talked myself into the upset there and I wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me 10-8 something like towards Leo, but if it finished 10-2 to Bingham, I also wouldn't be surprised. It's yeah. such a difficult one to call. Yeah, it is really. Yeah, I would agree with that. Anthony McGill, uh, Liam Hyerfield, well, they've never played in a long match, but I've noticed a lot of players, you look at the head-to-heads and not playing in the long match, which sort of, you have to remind yourself, there aren't that many long matches in, mm. in snooker season. That So, you you know, you, you can't get a lot of evidence together all the time between when you look at the head-to-heads. I mean, it struck me looking at the Liam Highfield interview that he sort of, he, I mean, of course he was wanted to go there to win when he's been there before, but he said, no, I've had, the, I've had the sort of first couple of appearances there where I've got used to it and I'm looking around a bit and thinking this is marvellous and everything, but now I'm really going to put some wins on the board there. I'm going to, obviously going to win the tournament, like all the players, but, you know, he, he's not going there to sort of any element of, of you know, being a sort of tourist. It's, I think, with the greatest one in the world, a lot of those first-timers sometimes are. They're a bit rabbit in headlights. The place shocks them. You know, even if they've looked at it or been there as a fan, nothing beats playing there the first time. He's done all that. 
But of course, he's playing this crucible specialist in McGill that just seems to turn up and play there, you know, in a way that he hasn't really done in the sort of eight, nine months before. So he's got his work cut out. It, it strikes me it could be a real scrap this. It could be a sort of like, hang on, burn the midnight oil job, this one. You know, it could really go deep. I'm saying that a lot of times. Um, but it, I think this is a really intriguing first round. And I think more than for a few years, I think we could really get some some deep ones. And it's probably got to go with McGill with it, with the experience. But, but you know, Heifel's a good player. And, he you know, you get the feeling that if Anthony's not quite at those sort of levels we've seen in recent crucibles, that, that it could go his way as well. Yeah, I, mean, I, I spoke to Liam after after qualifying. Um, I think he's a really improving player. I, I didn't actually know this. I may have heard it and forgotten, but he, he was telling me he started working with Chris Henry before the previous World Championship, and he qualified for that one, he's qualified for this one, and he feels like he's sort of getting better and better, um, and that seems to be the way of it. I think he's he's around his highest ever ranking, and uh, he's a really good player, Liam Highfield. Um, he, was, he was also saying that... The one, the thing he struggles most with is keeping his emotions in check, and they're very up and down. And I would say someone who doesn't struggle with that is Anthony McGill, who is so stoic, and just sits there, sort of stock still, staring at the table of his of his opponents at the at the table, just um, is completely in control of himself. That's probably why he's so good at the Crucible. And you know, just based on that, and how we know Anthony plays there. I'd, I'd go with McGill. Um, I think Highfield's really good. I think he's getting better. I think he'll have some good results coming in, in the next two or three years. But um, yeah, McGill's just an animal, a, a different animal at the Crucible. He's not had a terrible season either. Um, it, you know, semi-final couple of quarters. It's not been awful. Uh, especially one of those quarters of the UK. Um, so it's been all right. Um, and yeah, it, it, he's got something in Sheffield and I think he'll have too much value for what about Judge Trump Hussein the five? It, it, I've got the word fireworks down here. It just feels like don't miss this one. It will just be a, 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 a real kind of thrill. Yeah, I mean, it's another. It's very unpredictable. I mean, Judge at the Tour Championship was as bad as, as I've seen him for a while. He looked, he was missing all sorts. Um, Luca was playing well. He lost to Luca Purcell. He was playing well. But Judd looked like he didn't really want to be there was playing badly and he said as much afterwards, didn't he? He just um, said he's not been enjoying it. He said he didn't really, really feel like playing the World Championship, which you know, as soon as he said that, no one actually thought he wouldn't play the World Championship. But um, So, yeah, it, it looked really bad for Judd. But, you know, maybe that was what he needed. Maybe he needed a few days off. He's, he's like really intense practice regime. Um, you know, even just a couple of days off that to re-spark some energy and go back and do some more... So he could, he could turn up and just be blasting centuries. We don't know. Um, but if he plays anything like he did in London now, then he, he's not going to beat anyone. And he's not going to beat the same Fafai, um, who's been playing some decent stuff. He actually didn't play great stuff in that um, just in that last qualifying round against Lepe Fan. Brilliant break to win it. But when he first came into the press room afterwards, he, he said to um, Jamie Brooks on the BBC, he wanted to apologise to all his fans around the world for playing so badly. So, <laughs> it, was, it was nice, but very honest with you. But um, I guess that's the pressure of the 
the final qualifying round, but then it's pressure of the first round of the Crucible. So, yeah, I find this one a really hard one to predict. I don't know what to expect from either of them, really. Um, so, yeah, you've got to fancy Trump anyway. He's, he, I think, having recognised that it was a problem and done something to fix it, um, will have helped him. And he's just a better player. Um, but Hussein's brilliant. I think Hussein, Hussein's going to end up in the top 16 at some point. Um, when that'll be, we're not sure. Uh, he's, I think he's better than where he has, is at the minute in the game. So he's good enough to challenge the top players. He's not afraid of Judd Trump, but um, 10 8 Trump, I'll, I'll leave it on that. Yeah, I think you're right about close. I mean, it's really difficult to call jump. I've got the uh, Trump, I've got the beware the injured uh, golfer in my, in, my, in my head because it strikes me that Trump could have had a funny sort of low then at the tour and then sort of he's almost sort of got a free hit a bit in his mm. own mind now. Because he said, oh, I don't, you know, I wouldn't play it if it wasn't the world. I might have a break next season. And if it takes the pressure off himself a bit, even if it does that in his own head, he could be dangerous. You know, obviously he's dangerous, he's Doug Trump. But I don't know, he, he could almost be, because he, he goes there with so much expectation on him every year. I mean, all the years before he won it, will he ever win it? You know, will it be soon? Then, then since he won it, he won it so amazingly in 19. I think I backed him in probably both of the ones since. Um you know, so, well, I think the 21, I said before, I think had it been in the spring, he probably would have won it, I think. But we'll never know that. 21, he obviously didn't, didn't do the business again, but people expect so much of him now. Maybe that'll be a little bit lessened because of the things he said. Hussein Vafai is, uh, I don't know, he, he's, a, he's a brilliant player. He's a, you know, smashing player to watch. But I wonder with these comments about Ronnie and the whole emotion of being, you know, this Iranian player playing at the Crucible and the history of it. He, I mean, the matches are long, but they're not that long that you can afford to have a bad start. And I just don't know if he'll be one of those that's caught in the emotion of it all and suddenly sort of 4-1 down and the match has kind of gone. I don't know. I think I sort of have to fancy Trump, but I feel like I'm going for the favourites every time. We're not actually fully predicting, are we? I mean, I, I, I'm being very conservative. But then, to be fair, was it last year that virtually all the top players did win? We ended yeah. up with an incredible second round, didn't we? Yeah, there weren't many shocks last in the first round last year. I mean, it's hard when, when you, you sort of trying to analyse these things and you always end up thinking, well, the best player probably win. That's <laughs> um, the thing you've got to take. But like you said before, like no one was expecting Bingham and Murphy to be in the semi-finals last year. Sometimes you just got to take a punt on someone and hope for the best. Um, but yeah, I, I think, like you said, I think the Tour Championship was so bad for him that it might end up being good because that, that will have been a reset. If he'd sort of narrowly lost and played all right, he would have just carried on what he was doing that wasn't working really. But I mean, he won the Turkey quite quite soon before that, so it's not, it wasn't terrible. But he's not been at his best. That might may have been the complete reset he needed. And, uh, yeah, I fancy him for a good run this time around. Yeah, I, mean, I almost sort of think, I mean, he knows his own mind better than anyone else and his own form, but I almost think, you know, he started talking himself down a bit too much in the last sort of, almost last year, season's actually been quite a good, Judd. Yeah. You know, and it, like two or three months ago, he was going through that thing, of, well, I can't win everything. And he seemed to sort of turn in his head to suddenly have had a rubbish season. I'm like, well... It hasn't been as bad as you're saying. I don't know. It's a weird one, but I guess when you win five or six most years, you you know you win two and you think it's not mm. good. But 
you know, it clearly still is, but it'll be an interesting one to, ha- to, to watch, as all these will. And Neil Roberts and Ashley Hugo is the next one. Well, a Hugo one, they only matched five years ago, I was interested to see. Um, so much attention on Robertson, such a big tournament for him, this. I mean, I think he, he's probably the one that I'm going to have to back to win it because, you know, he's just been the player of the season. And I, I, I was, you know, watching the draw this morning and John Parrott sort of saying what I think we all sort of think that on form, in pure stature terms, in pure in terms of how special he looks, he should probably be the one to fancy in this tournament. And the odds, obviously, he's the bookie's favourite. But there's that thing of, you know, when he gets his first tough match, you know, will he start the struggle? I mean, the thing that you've got to say is he tends to play well early on. Even if he eventually lets, lets his, his fans down, he does well first two rounds. So I think this is a definitely Robertson win here. And, uh, you know, I mean, Hugh Gill is, you know, He's gonna, you know, you're gonna play a top sixteen player, but he's he's got a back, he's got a stinker, isn't he? To to use Sean Murphy's words, yeah. <laughs> I spoke that, but didn't I? Sorry, Murphy called it a, a stinker, didn't he? Getting Maguire on Twitter, well, like, you go got a stinker, really. I think that's right. There are there are top sixteen play, sixteen players where I would have backed Hugo for a surprise here because um, he's been really good. He, he's um, in Victoria's Academy in Sheffield, which I went down to see. Few weeks ago, and he practices with Zhao and Yan and uh, Fan and uh, the others in there, Lucas Kleckers, people like that. And it's it's all working for him. They're all doing really well. And Ashley is hugely improved. Um, and he had three great wins in qualifying, uh, being Dean Young six 0 coming back for I think he was five two down maybe beat Martin Gould six five, and that was after a night of food poisoning where he barely slept. You know, it's a, it's a superb achievement, and then beat Joe Connor ten seven in the in the, uh, the final round of qualifying. Um, he's doing really well, and he's on the rise in the game. Is he anywhere near Neil Robertson yet? He's not. Like that's fair enough, and that's not a criticism. He, he might get a lot closer, and I think he will. He's doing very well, but Neil Robertson's a different animal at the minute, and. Uh, I don't know who I'd back to beat him. <laughs> I mean, it, we'll see. He, he's he's probably going to beat himself. That's that's the thing about it at the Crucible, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm finally going to go for one of those that, that that is against the supposed form of the 60. I think Siemens might beat Lazowski. Uh, I always think Lazowski's vulnerable in this tournament, really, if I'm honest. I had a look. First round, second round, first round, first round, second round. And that's really ordinary record for someone of his you know, brilliant talents. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. It, you know, it could be that, that Jack, you know, re- is really firing and, you know, produces this, something close to his best stuff. But I just think, you know, he's a bit battle-hardened, Stevens, coming through qualifying. As you say, he's been sort of, you know, working harder than perhaps he works for other tournaments. And uh, I think he might just turn Jack over. Yeah, I can see it. Um, it's it's a, quite a level game, I think. Um, the Sowski's two wins, the Crucible were good. He beat Carter last year as a seed with Carter coming through. I think that's the way, right way around. And his other win was a qualifier beating Bingham, which is also an excellent win. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, for someone of his quality and talent, um, two wins at the Crucible isn't, isn't loads. Um, yeah, I can see it. We don't know with Jack. We he, the, he got one one semi final quarter of the UK 
sort of came out of nowhere, didn't it? Um, it, it was hard to say it was a surprise because, you know, he's a top 16 player, so it's not weird to see him in the quarterfinal of a big tournament, but he'd done so little and has done quite little since that it, it was a bit odd. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's, he's so hard to predict, isn't he? Um, he could, like I said with Bingham before, if that finished 10 3 to Lasowski, I wouldn't be stunned. But if he lost, I wouldn't be stunned. And, you know, that's not a prediction. <laughs> it's useless for me, isn't it? Anything could happen. Um, but I, I, I'll still go with Lasowski, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if Stephen won that at all now. What about Luca Bassell not on Sankan then? It strikes me that, that Luca's best form came a few months ago rather than now, but uh, nevertheless, you know, this is not a, a, another kind of hard one to predict, I think. I think I think I will go with the upset here. Um, Luca, Luca's sort of all on nothing, really. Um, and he, he's got a really bad record in Sheffield. Um, not won a match, uh, which is quite mad, really. He's played there four times. Yeah. Uh, one was a long time ago. One was 10 years ago when he was the youngest player ever to, to get to the Crucible. Um, but, yeah, four, four appearances, no wins is, is quite surprising. Uh, Knockbon did get that great win over Murphy, wasn't it? It was Murphy, if I remember that right. Um, during 2020, yeah, the COVID one. Beaten quite comfortably and then went to a decider with Selby in the second round. Um, yeah, I think Nopon's really, really good. Um, very mechanical. Um, when he's on form, he looks like he's not going to miss. He's not always on form, obviously. Um, there was a match, I can't remember what the tournament was. There. Um, was it the UK? He very nearly beat Ronnie. He was ahead of Ronnie at some point this season. That's right. I think it, I think it might have been. I'll have to look yeah. At Sorry, I'm just doing things off memory, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the UK where he, he very nearly beat O'Sullivan and O'Sullivan came back to beat him. Um, yeah, I think he's really, really good, Nopon. Um, and Luca is also really good, obviously. Um, and Luca's best is better than Nopon's best, but we don't know what to expect from Luca. You never know. Um, he could, it, again, he could win this easily. You never know. But um, if I was tipping an upset, this, this would be the one. I think... Nopon with a couple of good wins in qualifying. Um, of course, Luca will have been practising, um, even though he turned up at the Tour Championship saying he hadn't been practising and beat Judge Trump in the first round. He will have been practising for this one. Um, so, yeah, he could turn up and be great. But I'll go with Nopon for this one. It was the 1st of December, Phil Haig. He was 3-2 up on Ronnie, actually, and Ronnie won 6-3 in the last 16 of the UK. OK, so it wasn't that close to beating him, but he was ahead of him. He was ahead. I think I remember watching that now. Yeah, um, that, that rings a bell. And, yeah, I mean, sort of probably going to stick with Luca, but, yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? And you're right, Luca's record at the Crucible is not not good at all, never having won there. And Nopon had that win against Sean Murphy. So, yeah, I'm, not, I'm probably going to stick with Luca, but I do think it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's quite a hard one to call. And, you know, he, he really had that terrific spell, didn't he? But again, that most of the players will do that. They'll have that sort of golden spell of sort of three, four weeks, four, five, six weeks, and, and they have to take advantage and, and make it pay that he did that. 
Mm. Maybe that that was his sort of best part of the season. It might might not be hard, might be hard to sort of re- rediscover that now, but we'll certainly see. What what a game, John Higgins, Tep Trio on I mean, Tep Trio is so unlucky with his draws. This is <laughs> it is Higgins twice now. I think he's up. He, Ronnie hammered him when Ronnie won the COVID one, didn't he? Yeah, and Judd was the other one. Oh, but, I mean, that's ridiculous. Actually, <laughs> um, and he, he was he was within a ball or two of beating Judd um, on the year Judd went to win it. So it was nearly. So it was, and yeah. something weird happened in that frame as well, where Judd got a real bit of luck. So it's sort of half forgotten what happened exactly, but yeah, some yeah, that was an incredible decider. Quite right. Um, well, I, I don't know. I keep thinking I don't know how Higgins is getting over these final defeats, and he and he can't do one in the next tournament. And he keeps doing wells, but so I don't know really. I mean, he, he he's an unbelievable crucible player, unbelievable player full stop, but unbelievable crucible player, eight world finals, which I don't think he's talked about enough, funny enough. I know he's lost four, but to be in eight world finals is staggering. Mm. And three of them are recent. So, but then in a funny kind of way, he was so down. Was it with you saying about that could ruin the, the end of his career? Or something? It wasn't with me, but uh, I, wrote, I did write those quotes up. Yeah. I mean, that's quite strong words. And and this was my, by a mile the most damaging. I mean, the home nations ones, eight, six, three to play are horrible. But you, you can look at those and think, oh, those guys stormed the finish line, Alan and Robertson. The tall one was, was a choke. So it's not that many weeks on, is it? You know, so I don't know. But again, I never quite know with Tepchire. If he blows hot and starts well and start, you know, gets a head of steam on, he could, he could turn Higgins over, but I'm sort of inclined just for the sheer experience of John. I'm loath to ever back against him, really. I'm so conservative, aren't I, Phil? But, it, it, you know, it's an interesting one. I could see why some people around today are saying they fancy the upset, though, there. Oh, yeah, I can see it. Um, but I, I, yeah, I've got to go Higgins there. I think he, he says some quite dramatic things, and they sort of... He said it before, didn't he? I think it was the one, um, was it the one in Northern Ireland or was it under Robertson when he said he couldn't compete with these guys at the top level anymore? Um, and I think these final defeats, he said more and more dramatic things. But, uh, you know, they're not the case. He, he does dust himself down, get back on the practice table. Um, Maguire's been qualifying, but I'm sure he'll have been in there when the Gill's slogging out in that unit they've got in Glasgow. And... I remember, I think you were probably, on, we were on Zooms, weren't we, before the last World Championship when um, John had literally just arrived in Sheffield and it was like, it was like speaking to someone who'd just got there for the first time, who just qualified for Sheffield, real sort of boyish sort of excitement about it. Um, it was really sort of quite sweet to see, wasn't it, for someone who's been there so much and done it all. Um, and he'll have that back. He'll have put the work in. Um, and... He's just much, he, he's much better than Tep Chai. Tep Chai is like, he, he's brilliant to watch. When he's playing great, he's great. When he's playing bad, he's bad. And he plays some, he does some mad things. Um, he, he made some mad, he makes some mad decisions. And they're not the kind of decisions you want to make against John Higgins. And uh, over a short format, you know, I, yeah, I'd be fine to say Tep Chai could do it, but uh, I, I'll be back in Higgins all day long here. It was 10-1 against Ronnie, wasn't it? I mean, that, yeah. that's in my head a bit. I mean, I think Ronnie was following up after about an hour or something. I'm, you know, that was Sunday afternoon, actually. I remember uh, quite well being a hotel room and watching that one. And 
yeah, I mean, okay, two years on, it's a different tournament, but yeah, just with, with, with Tetra, I don't know. But listen, as I say, he could turn up and play brilliantly and beat John Higgins, and no one will be that surprised. This is why it's such a great first round this year because mm. there are so many ones where where nothing will really surprise you, and I, and, and that's great. That's great about it. Well, their, their world championship meeting was relatively close. Twenty eighteen, Higgins won ten seven, so you know it was reasonably tight. Um, but I think Higgins was winning throughout and sort of held him off. Um, I could see something like that happening again. Yeah, no, that's that's a fair point. Um, well, I said all out, all eyes on Jamie Clark. I mean, he's playing Zhao Zing Tong. I mean, I'd be worried about what happened with Zhao Zing Tong against Higgins at the Tour Championship in terms of sort of long matches. And Jamie Clark has that experience, of course, of of, of that memorable tournament he had two years ago. You're so right about thinking it's a longer run. I looked at that and thought, God, that's a, you only won one match. He sort of <laughs> won about three, didn't he? No, he didn't. Just had so much seemed to happen to him. And it's such an, an odd sort of tournament anyway, that COVID one. That uh, Yeah. So, I mean, listen, Southington Tom's been unbelievable this season, but it's boom or bust with him. You know, as you've made the point very well a few times, he's, you know, he either wins a tournament or goes, goes early. So, I don't know. If Jamie Clark really turns up and you know, fancies it and plays his best stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if he if he could sort of start imposing himself on, on Zhao Zintong in this game, despite Zhao winning the UK and being, you know, the better player type thing. I think he can, I think he can possibly be a bit intimidated, Zhao, this time. I, I, yeah, I haven't thought about it too much, but I might sort of back the unlikely result there. Yeah, I mean... Uh... I think Zhao will struggle with the sort of the expectation and uh, the full house at the Crucible more than Clark will. Clark will be reveling it. He'll he'll fancy being the underdog and having a go at the Zhao. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's much in this really, despite you know the discrepancy in what they've achieved. Um, Zhao is just yeah, he's literally all or nothing. He's either he's won two tournaments or he's lost in the first two rounds and often in the first round. Um, and yeah, he could easily lose this one. Um, I suppose if it's going to be the first round or nothing, I don't think he's going to win it. So that means it's going to be this one. So I guess I'll have to say he's losing it. <laughs> okay. And we're slowly but surely getting through these these matches. Then these are all first round matches at the World Championship. Sean Murphy, Stephen Maguire. Now I've already spoiled it, haven't I? And uh, of course, Murphy did say stinker. But well. We were all thinking it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Maguire and Ding and Gilbert, I mean, a few of them, but uh, ones to avoid, Maguire definitely. I mean, you know, he's, he, he's a top 16 player and has been for a lot of his career, um, but isn't at the minute. He's number 40 or whatever it is, so he's just quite mad. But, um, yeah, great draw this one. They've had a bit of history with the old chalk game and stuff. I don't think they got on particularly well. Um, let's hope for a bit of... Uh, I was going to say argy bargy, maybe not as much as that, but well, a bit of tension would be nice. Let's have argy bargy. Let's go as far as argy bargy. Why not? Yeah, I mean, I, I talked about a few of the guys. You know, you, you say they're head to heads. You can't sort of tell much. There's not much evidence. There's loads of bloody evidence here. They've been playing each other for over twenty years, and uh, it's a very close career head to head, actually. But I know it's Murphy's two one up in triple crown events, which again doesn't say too much. Yeah, I mean. I interviewed Sean at length, actually, Sean Murphy's piece on Sporting Life, where Sean had some really interesting things to say about a host of matters. 
the headlines being that he says he was wrong about amateur players because he thinks it's not a pro tour, as he puts it. Uh, he's expanded on stuff he said to you before about the injuries and how they really derailed his season. But he's brought himself a massage gun, um, which says, you know, ha has made a lot of difference. And his results have shown that. And he's shown a little bit in Turkey. He's also said he's out of the loop, which I think is a, a fair way of saying it, actually, because I, I can imagine how he, he might feel that because, you know, he, he reached the world final last year and yet he's seen those other guys, those famous names right at the top of the game. Higgins reached all those finals. Williams win a ranking event. Uh, you know, Ronnie being very good this season generally and he just feels like he's not on that level. But then he didn't last year. And he, he had a terrible season last year. He used the word terrible about his 2021 and terrible about his 21-22. And yet he found something. You think it's a push for him to find something out of nothing two years in a row. So, you know, maybe, maybe I started to fancy Maguire in this one. But I'm, you're never quite entirely sure what Maguire's going to show up. So, yeah, I mean, from what I saw of Maguire, though, good signs in the qualifiers. So... Yeah, purely on the grounds that it's going to be hard work for Sean to produce a good world championship out of nothing two years in a row. Might might back might back Maguire in that one. Yeah, there's, there's, there's nothing in it really as players, is there? I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it's short. <laughs> like you say, Sean has actually had a very similar season to the season he had last season when no one expected him to do well, but he did amazing at Sheffield. So, but yeah, like you say, can lightning strike twice? Um, he's got that back injury. I think it's his back and his neck, isn't it? His shoulder, the, the standard sort of snooker player injury, um, which has been hampering him. And as much as Maguire hated being at the qualifiers, and he made it very clear that he hated being there and didn't like the setup and everything, and he never wants to be there again. I think it was good motivation to try and get back up the rankings. And um, yeah, he beat, so he beat Zhang Zing and Kang in the first one. But to beat Zhao Yulong 10 7 is as good a sharpening up as you could imagine. You know, Maguire versus Zhao Yulong for a place at the Crucible is, is a, a bonkers, really. Yeah, they're two such superb players. Zhao Yulong's had, um, I think it's three years he's not been there. One of them he couldn't go and play because of COVID, but he's failed to qualify the last two, but he's a brilliant player. Maguire's got such respect for him because he always talks about him and Yang because that's who him and John Higgins lost to at, at the World Cup when... Zhao and Yang and Zhao and Yan were, you know, quite young teenagers. Weren't they? Uh, I think they were like fourteen and fifteen, and they got and they beat Maguire and Higgins. So he's got the ultimate respect for him. Um, and to slog it out and beat him over seventeen frames, um, I think that gives Maguire the edge for me. He'll, he'll be he'll be ready to go for this. Not that Murphy won't be ready to go, but that's that's an edge to to be aware of for sure. Definitely. And we're nearly at the end. And Mark Allen, Scott Donaldson, what have you got to say about that one? I mean, uh, Allen's record, I think, is is extraordinarily ordinary for his qualities in this tournament. But one year, you know, he's, he's going he's gonna to fire, I think. You know, you know, in the years he has left at the top level, he's got to have a good crucible, hasn't he? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And it's so hard to predict when that will be. Um, yeah, I'd be stunned if he doesn't get to a semi or further at some point. 
Um, is it going to beat Scott Donaldson? Scott Donaldson has been to Crystal once before and he has sort of come to be my Kyron. He's had a nothing season, but like we said, that's because of quite significant troubles which are now in the past. Uh, and he came through qualifying very impressively. I mean, being, being Lee Hang in the first round was it was hard for... Uh, no, yeah, Lee Hang, sorry. Um, hard for him to decide. And then absolutely tonking on Taylor 10 one Very impressive. And like I said... Um, a while ago now, um, I rate him very highly. Um, do I think he's going to beat Mark Allen? I don't. I don't think I do. I think it makes it difficult. He's a great match. He's a good match player. He's a good all-round player, Scott Donaldson. But I think Allen will. Yeah, I've got a bit of a feeling for Allen this year as well. Not to win it, I don't think. But um, yeah, I, I don't think the upset's there. I think I'll go Allen. I think Law of Averages has got to have a really good tournament um, one year. He's just too good a player. Well, Ronnie O'Sullivan, David Gilbert. I mean, the funny thing is, I don't know quite why, but everyone's sort of focusing on, oh, what a nightmare for Dave. I think partly because he said he didn't want to play one of those top ones like Ronnie and then got him. But my mind's also been thinking it's a bit of a stinker for Ronnie, actually, to get Dave Gilbert in a funny kind of way. But I looked at the career head-to-head and I thought, well, he's never beaten O'Sullivan. and but there was a 10-7 win for Ronnie at this stage in 16, which suggests, you know, it wouldn't be that surprising. Okay, that's a while ago now, but if it's a tie again. um, Ronnie's actually been in good form. I think Ronnie's a decent bet for this tournament, actually. Mm. I really do. I think, you know, some, some some good old pundits, some of our, you know, top top pundits are either backing Ronnie for the title or to go very close. And I think that's a, a fair way of saying it. So, I guess I, I fancy Ronnie to beat this to win this game, but it's not—it's not really a nice first round for him. You know, Dave Gilbert's come through qualifying, won a ranking event this season. You know, he's been to the last four before. You know, in in, in Sheffield, I think Rob Walker said it. You know, that could be—it could be a final. It could be a ranking final. You know, that—that's a—that's a good way of saying. It, I think Mob. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the head-to-head. I think it's seven nil for Ronnie, isn't it? Um, I think I think the problem with Dave is he's like a nice player to play, isn't he? he sort of plays an open attacking, gets the balls open uh, game, and that sort of suits players who also like to play that. And Ronnie's the best at that, so I guess that's why that's happened. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, if, if Dave coming through qualifying is is definitely a big plus for him because, as he said, he hasn't been playing loads, he hasn't been playing very well. So to to have to go and beat McLeod and uh, Hamilton, who are two very tough match players, has been very good for him, and he's coming in a much better place than he would have been if he'd have snuck into 16th place or something like that. Um, is Ronnie vulnerable in the first round? Obviously, the Cahill is a very famous one, which makes you think, oh, maybe he is. But actually, that's his only that's his only first round loss since 2003. So, you know, it can be done, but it's not necessarily going to be. Um, that one in 2003 was to Marco Fu as well. So, um, you know, a top player. I think the one before that was David Gray. So there's a shock, but um, that's 22 years ago. So can we take anything from that? Not really. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. But we, we talk about Gilbert as a qualifier, which he is, but he has, he's not had to qualify for the last three crucibles. So he, he's very much the, the, the high end of the qualifiers. And he'll, he'll, he'll push Ronnie. Do I think he'll beat him? I wouldn't put money on it. Can he beat him? Of course he can. Um, but Ronnie would have to have an off day. I think that's fair to say. 
yeah, no, that, that summed it up very well. And it should be a, a, a smashing first round. Really, really some, some fascinating matches to look forward to. And we'll talk about them all when we join you next Thursday. As we said before, this podcast effectively becoming a Thursday operation uh, as we uh, head into the World Championship. We'll say well done and congratulations to Olivia Martil, who refereed his second World Final Phil, we know all about the work he's been doing off the table. Very important work. And uh, he's, a, he's a smashing rep, I think. A really, a really good one. And uh, it's, the, it's the highest honour, isn't it, for a referee? You're getting the Crucible final, that's that's the top of the tree, isn't it? It really is, yeah. Uh, yeah, huge congratulations. It means a lot to those guys. And, uh, yeah, like you say, he's been sort of, through the pandemic, he was really on the front line in, uh, in hospitals, uh, working, am I right, in teams working as a nurse? That's right, yeah, isn't it? Right, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, amazing stuff. I remember seeing some pictures that were coming in through that while we were whinging about covering snooker tournaments in Milton Keynes and that sort of put things into perspective while Olivia was doing some proper work. So, yeah, um, he deserves the reward, um, not because of that. Well, partly because of that, but mainly because he's an excellent referee. So, yeah, congrats to him. Yeah, there was a feature, actually. I think it might have been during the... Uh, the UK in 20 and it really sort of struck me more than a lot of things did it, and there's something about the way you said it one this is a terrible disease you know don't, don't don't get it do everything you can to avoid and I don't know it's something about it very haunting because it's some of them for the within this community that we know and it really just you know it brought home what incredible work that, you know that those, mm-hmm. those medical people do and especially in those those desperate sort of first opening months and first year of the pandemic so yeah, we must say, you know, we're full of admiration, of course. And I always think he's a, you know, top ref, really has such great control over proceedings and has such a nice way about him. So we'll, we'll really look forward to seeing him uh, officiate the final. Well, we've been going, I think, for either two hours or very nearly there. We've got a couple of bits of correspondence. I'll let you do, Justin, which is lovely, from our friend Justin Barnes. Brian Campbell says, Dear Nick and Phil, as we look forward to the Crucible, I was wondering about the logistics of being a journalist in the World Championship. Rob Walker has done a couple of behind-the-scenes videos, which are on YouTube, and we can see there is a press room. Does that mean you guys don't see much from inside the actual arena? I'm guessing it might disturb the players if you're tapping at a keyboard, or do you sit somewhere with a pen and notepad and type it up thereafter in the press room? I'm heading down for the fourth time on the second Wednesday for six days, and I can't wait is such a special feeling. As soon as you step off the train and make your way up the hill from the station, all the banners and branding on the lamppost really give you a sense of anticipation and the feeling there's something special going on. Bring it on, kind regards, Brian. Well, yes, the majority of work we do in the press room, that, that's the answer. We can go into the press seats. There are, I think it's eight, isn't it? Four on each side. Maybe five if you really squeeze along. Yeah. But... um. Yes, you, you you are allowed to go in the press seats, but of course it's it's you know it's it's a rotation system, so you can't always get in there. There's not always a room, but there sometimes is, and uh, we'll certainly take advantage of that. As uh, I mean, every seat in the Crucible is great, but those press seats really are special. And you meet some funny old people there. There's some famous people that've been there over the years. Roy Keane, Michael Carrick from football come to mind, and um, Westlife there one year, perhaps certainly Stephen Fry was no doubt about that one final. In fact, he had the seats for virtually the whole final, which um, 
didn't go down well with everyone in the press room, shall we say? But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. But the press rooms where we see uh, we see the majority of our tournament, don't we? Feel looking at big screens. <laughs> yeah, and I think I've said this on a previous pod that you know every tournament I go to, I spend near enough all my time in there. I, I'm, I'm trying to tell myself to at least get in for a few frames because you can spend a few days at a tournament and you know not see any actual live action, it's, and it's a bit. It's a bit sad, really, because that's what you're going to cover. Um, and I suppose most of the job is speaking to people and especially covering online stuff. You need to be, you know, ready uh, to go if anything happens. So if if you're in the press seats, you know, you've not got your laptop there, so you need to dash back in. But, um, yeah, no, certainly in the World Championship this year, I'll be uh, I'll be making sure I sit on those press seats for at least a little while to drink in some of the actual action. Well, you're going to go there for most of it, aren't you? You're going to be there for an awful lot of it. I'm hoping to go there from, from the the second Tuesday onwards, so we'll, I look forward to seeing you there. We'll hopefully have a live episode, as we did last year, just before the semi-finals start. And, uh, yeah, you ha- Sheffield must be gearing up now. You're seeing branding, I imagine, now in, in full operation. And uh, I've seen the pictures of the Crucible. That's all sort of being decked out. So, Snooker City vibe already hitting. Yes, it was absolutely, yeah. It's been, it's been bubbling up. Um, yeah, I mean, being at the EIS wasn't it wasn't the same, but you know, it was still it had a very snooker vibe. As I say, just wandering around, you just see people you recognise. It's great. Um, so yeah, you know, we're very close now, and it's going to be excellent. And I'll uh, I'm not there every single day, but I'm going to be there a lot, um, which is brilliant. I'm, I'm loving being back up here. To be honest, it's been good. It's good to be home, and uh, it'd be good to be back there for sure. Good man. Well, Justin Barnes, should we do lovely email from Justin. Yeah, this is uh, this is a great one. I don't want to big up too much afterwards, but uh, let's go. Dear Nick and Phil, thank you both for the podcast. Very enjoyable. Surely there must be a talking snooker, a nice way of saying it, range of merchandise coming soon. Well, we've got nothing in the pipeline, but you never know. If there's demand, we'll do it. Anyway, here's the meat of it. Also, great to see you both doing proper written features with players up and down the rankings. Phil's regular long-form interviews with the Metro have been a game-changer for snooker media. Very kind of you to say, Justin. Back in the 1980s, when I first got into the game, there were so few in-depth interviews with snooker players other than with the big names, and they really add colour and context to matches and help to build storylines during the season. Phil's recent interview with Rob Milkins in the Metro brought back personal memories for me. In the piece, Rob talked about the tragic loss of his mum to pancreatic cancer and how she was in the final stages of the illness when he was about to begin his professional snooker career back in 1995. As was her wish, he went to the Blackpool qualifiers where he received the news that she'd passed away. After winning his first six matches in the first three tournaments, he went home for her funeral and then, on his return, lost his next two matches before winning his next 18. This is the incredible from Justin. I was his opponent in his seventh match, the 1995 Skoda Grand Prix second qualifying round. It was my second and what proved to be my last season, and having gone to Blackpool with hopes of putting a few wins few winning runs together, I'd lost my first three matches. Not an ideal start. It was a free-flowing match with Rob, and I remember thinking this guy had a lovely, effortless style and hit the ball so cleanly. We both missed a few, fairly standard for me, probably not so much for Rob, but there was some decent stuff in between, and I managed to edge him 5-4. It was a great win for me, and I have always remembered how friendly and sporting Rob was afterwards. Of course, I had no idea what he was going through at the time, which makes that even more impressive to me now that I find out all these years later. 
Those summers, there were hundreds of snooker players milling around at the Norbert Castle Hotel in Blackpool over a period of weeks. After that match, if I saw Rob around the venue, he was always affable and encouraging. And he was one of the go-to new pros to watch play in the early qualifying rounds that summer, along with the likes of Quinton Han and Paul Hunter. I've always kept an eye on his progress from afar since, and it's been great to see him go on to have a long career in the game, despite the personal tragedies he has had. I was delighted for him when he won Gibraltar Open, and I hope it's the spark of a golden autumn in his career and happy times ahead. Best wishes, Justin Barnes. That, uh, yeah, a bit emotional there, actually, (laughs) to be honest, because that chat I had with Rob was very emotional. And, uh, yeah, I thought that, that email was lovely. It was. I find myself with tears in my eyes because that is very, very touching, actually. And do you know what? It, it, it's true, you know, and the stuff you've done has been brilliant because you, you do get to know that those players. And if I can say a little bit about our, ourselves as well, I had a lovely message from an old school friend of mine that's uh, quite a, a big snooker fan, actually. My friend, uh, Fran Tavares, who... You know, I've known for, for decades now and he'll certainly watch the big tournaments and, and, and love those. And, and he was sort of making a very nice point, I think, that, you know, he, he he's hearing from guys he didn't know too much about, you know, and he particularly mentioned sort of Joe Perry. I know Joe does media work, but the sheer sort of grandeur of Joe's appearance on here, I think, really delighted snooker fans. And I was delighted when Fran made that point that, he was so interesting on a number of different levels. And I love that we're able to, to do that. We're not the first to do it at all. I mean, this Dave Hendon has been going for years and I've loads and loads of snooker players. But I just think it's lovely to have the chance to hear from these guys at length and the ones that you don't always hear about. You know, we had Stephen Hallworth on here, didn't we? And, you know, Anthony Hamilton at length. And these guys have got great stories, haven't they? And, you know, you don't hear a bad word against Rob Milkins, actually. And do you know what, Phil? We can't promise it. Should we try and get Rob Milkins on this podcast? I think we really should. Yeah, that, that hopefully we will. Yeah, and he was uh, he was brilliant to talk to. I bumped into the qualifiers as well. Um, yeah, I, mean, I don't know him well, but my dealings with him have been very enjoyable. And Justin Justin's account in there sounds the same. Like, yeah, he seems like a great guy. Um, and yeah, I think he'd be excellent value on here. Uh, hopefully, if, if anyone hadn't read that piece that I did with him. Um, <laughs> blow my trumpet here but I think it is worth reading I think it was good it was it was an enjoyable one to write it was an emotional one I think uh, I think you'd be hard pressed not to be very happy for Rob winning that tournament the other week um, once you've read what he's been through yeah because you just don't know do you and you none of us know really about most people's lives unless they're mm-hmm. close family or they're really good friends you don't know what's what's going on in the background so to find that out and to find that he's still been performing at the top level in elite sport is, you know, is quite something. We, we didn't make it to the Crucible, but nevertheless, he had a fantastic win yesterday and I'm sure there's plenty of snooker life left yet in Rob Milkins. We must go very soon. Quick word about the calendar. We've had the news of the uh, events for the first part of next season and not too many surprises. Still missing China desperately, of course. Uh, European Masters coming in August. Uh, Bushish Open, which is starting in late September into the early part of October in Milton Keynes. Best of seven now, Phil, not best of five anymore, but the best of 19 final. On ITV, again, I think they wanted it a little bit later, from as I understand it, into the autumn. Obviously, more popular television attraction, so that will be interesting. 
Northern Ireland Open in October in Belfast, and then right at the end of October and into November, the Champion of Champions, which is a tournament we love, of course. The UK Championship is from November 8th to 20th, over before the World Cup finals. I think that's the point there. But there are two tournaments during the World Cup. This is the Football World Cup, of course. The Scottish Open in late November and early December, and then the English Open, which is just before Christmas. So, I mean, look, looking at the calendar, it's not that inspiring, actually. But you have to sort of also say, you know, what 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 can anyone actually do? Because we lost China, which is huge. I mean, that's. I mean, how many how many did we used to have before Christmas? I know it was always the. The China Open was always in the spring, but you'd have that, the Shanghai International. International. And, you know, that's, you know, two or three, and that, that's a huge gap. So there's lots of Championship League, isn't there, to begin, and, uh, you know, in the summer. And it, it's a, you know, it's not the high level we want, but, you know, you have to sort of say, <laughs> it's funny because we're in the UK, and we mustn't be too UK-centric, but, also, we both live here, and I'm sure we sing for the same hymn sheet. I've just been for a sort of um, very enjoyable break in Broadstairs in, in Kent, and it struck me milling about there that you would have thought the pandemic's over, really. I mean, when I was going into Boots a couple of times, people were wearing people were wearing masks in there, but milling around the high street and going in restaurants and pubs, you know you'd get the impression the pandemic's over, but it isn't, is it? That's the mm. point. And we cannot go to these places. So, you know, it's a difficult one. But but there are some special events there, ones to look forward to. And, uh, you know, g- g- probably I think most fans will be happy the British Open's a bit longer for me now. <laughs> yeah, I think that that was the best bit of that announcement, wasn't it? The British Open sounds... Uh, I mean, I think we both really enjoyed the British Open last time because... It was new and a bit a bit chaotic, really, but this sounds like a better event. I think that was good news. But, yeah, I think that calendar announcement was just a bit underwhelming, wasn't it? I think, you know, when that you wait for that to come out and you think, oh, what's going to be on it? Is there anything new? Is there anything exciting? And there wasn't really, was there? Uh, and you're right, there's reasons for that. Um, but, yeah, it, it was. I don't think anyone was skipping home with their waving their new snooker season calendar in the hand going look at this look what i've got to show you here because it wasn't a, yeah it wasn't a thriller um and let's just so yeah let's just hope that china can come back as soon as possible but you know you read the news stories coming out there and they're going back into quite serious lockdowns a lot of places so when that will be we don't know we'll see and hopefully if it is going to be far in the future then they can come up with some other events Elsewhere, um, if it has to be here, then fine, or across Europe, or across anywhere else across the world. But um, yeah, uh, we'll wait with a uh, bait of breath for the second half of the season calendar and enjoy what we've got to come there. I mean, you're right, there's some great tournaments coming up, so uh, it's not all bad. Indeed, the Tour Championship is on the move. And Ken Doherty says on Twitter it's going to be in Hull. I'm not sure if he should have said that, but uh, well, if it's the arena that they held the UK seniors in at the start of the year, then that looks an absolute smashing. I mean, the seniors, I think we said it before, getting some proper good arenas, and that strikes me as potentially a very a very good one for that event. Yeah, is it the bonus arena? I think that was called. Um, yeah, we'll have to do some digging there. I think Ken let slip when he maybe I don't know if he should have done, but yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah, I 
Again, we're not, it's not the, all the glamour spots in the country for the, the snooker tour in the hall. I'm not having a go at it, but, you know, we were talking about maybe going to major cities. I'm not sure Hull's quite that, but, uh, yeah, uh, a good arena there. I, I think I think you're right there. I've just got a friend who works there. I should go and ask him. That's some poor journalism from me. I should have asked him earlier. It's a big city, though, isn't it, to be fair to Hull? And, I, you know, yeah. and, it, and it's, it doesn't always get a good press, but there's... Quite a lot of regeneration have been going on there. So I, 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 I would, but I'll tell you what though, I, I hope that, that Clan Digno does still have an event because, you know, that it's been a really good venue for snooker, that place. And it's, and it's, you know, it's, it's been very well supported, the, the events there. So I, I really hope that they, they, they manage to find a place for, place for that. Not easy. Everyone wants a slice of the pie, but that, that would be the hope. Wonder when you know that I think Judd did that interview with Hector when he was saying it should move to a bigger city and it's outgrown sort of sleepy London now. I don't know if I don't know if Hull was what he had in mind when he was giving those <laughs> quotes. Oh, brilliant! Well, let's say Phil, congratulations to David Hendon. Two hundred episodes of the Snooker Scene podcast. I mean, bloody hell! I mean, we, we know how hard sixty odds been. Two hundred. And over many, many years, it's been a, it's been a, a great, great listener, isn't it? We have to say, you know, it's a, in, in still an invaluable service. And actually, as I mentioned of, of Norbrecht Hotel from Justin there, that they had a recent episode. You should, if you haven't listened to that, David and Alan McManus went to Blackpool. And there were some lovely old stories. They really were. that Proper old reminiscing. So, you know, dig that out among, among David's many, many brilliant episodes from that. I just wanted to bring back the snooker player bingo he's, he's he, you know when that comes back Phil Yates telling his extraordinary stories they'll, they'll, they'll be a happy boy but it's a great effort isn't it and a great listen it is superb um yeah I really enjoyed that one the other well it's only last week actually when he spoke to all the guys who worked so hard at ITV putting the tournaments together on TV um that was a brilliant episode and yeah um yeah, us two on here are two of the most avid listeners of the Snooker Scene podcast, but I don't think either of us miss an episode. Um, we're big fans, uh, which is weird to say because I think we both know Dave, don't we? So, uh, but we are we're fans of his work, um, written now especially as well. Uh, his column in Eurosport is excellent, um, but yeah, we don't miss the podcast. So, um, yeah, congratulations! You're right, 200 is an excellent achievement, and here's to 200 more. We don't want it going anywhere. <laughs> exactly, and I liked his. The, the room where it happens this this week in Eurosport. I like the crucible being described as a room. Sean Murphy's a big one for that. You know, he'll say that. He'll say it's all happened there in that room. I love that. I know it's a theatre, but I quite like the idea that everything's happened. And well, everything in our lives will happen there in the next seventeen days. Uh, Phil, long days, long nights. It's all live on Eurosport, the home of snooker, as we consider it, certainly in the UK, and I think throughout the continent, and the BBC here in the UK. So it's all on free-to-air television from the BBC, including a rare non-Saturday BBC One outing, one for TV nerds, coming up this Easter Sunday afternoon, which will be the start of Ronnie's uh, attempt to win the tournament. In fact, no, it won't be the start of Ronnie. Ronnie's starting Saturday, isn't he? It's the Saturday. Mm. It's the second Ronnie session, sorry, against David Gilbert. They'll be live on BBC One on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Rishi Passad, part of the BBC team, uh, who is a top operator, does loads of great presenting across racing, across a number of sports, did that England-India uh, test series last year with Channel 4. So real, real top operator 
him, Hazel Irving, Seema Jaswell, BBC team, and of course the Eurosport team that we know so well, so many of our friends and colleagues that do such a brilliant job on that on that service. Matchroom Live on other parts of the world. I had a taste of it, didn't I, Phil, when I went to the Super Bowl in the United <laughs> States and other places. You can you can pay your subs decent value on there and, and follow it that way. And I'm sure there's Facebook Live as well in different parts of the world. This is a brilliant time, Phil. We cannot wait. 17 long days and nights uh, of, uh, of, of, of snooker to come. And we just can't wait. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I'm really excited now. It feels very close. Um, yeah, it's, it's the climax of the season. We've been talking about, I feel like, since probably December, I've probably said the words, we're turning the attention to the crucible. <laughs> I've said it probably 10 times on this podcast. And now it's here. Um, I get I get the great pleasure, and it is a great pleasure. I know it's work, but um, to go down to the media day tomorrow and speak to all top sixteen players, and that's that's a real treat. And then we get underway Saturday morning, um, and yeah, uh, we'll all enjoy it a lot. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast will be uh, heading to the Crucible. So if anyone sees either of us there, come and say hello because it'd be lovely to uh, lovely to speak to anyone. Indeed, and we hope to do a live episode, don't we? Uh, all being well, weather dependent, but. Could well be in Tudor Square. I haven't decided it yet, but certainly around the vicinity of that wonderful arena uh, before the semi-finals. And then we should, before that, speak next Thursday. We'll review the first round and uh, look forward to the second round. But we're on a bit of a schedule next week, aren't we? Because of your work and my work. So we're not going to have a marathon. We're going to be we're going to be a bit streamlined, a bit sensible about it. This has gone over two hours. I mean, it's it's barking mad, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, but there we are. We, we are. I think it's fine before tournament. You've got to be sensible mid-tournament because by yeah. the time it listens, yeah. you've played another five games. So, yeah, you've got to keep it tight mid-tournament. But we can go as mad as we want beforehand. Take some nice photos of the top 16 outside the Crucible tomorrow, will you? I'll, I'll do my best. I'm a terrible photographer, but uh, I'll take some awful pictures of them. How about that? Okay, well, that, 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 that's better than nothing. You're <laughs> <laughs> a business, I don't think so. I don't think so, no. Um, yeah, I'll have a tournament preview up tomorrow on Metro um, online, so uh, have a read of that, have a look at my Twitter, um, and then, yeah, just there'll be a lot of content to come through the tournament, so hope you enjoy it. Loads of stuff from Phil Hague on Metro. Good coverage too, I have to say, on Sporting Life, including my Sean Murphy piece. Mm. And we always have to say that the official programme is available to buy online or from The Crucible, including my Mark Selby piece. Loads of other great features in there as well. Big interviews. So pick that up. And, of course, Snooker Scene podcast will be on, I'm sure, uh, throughout the championship at, uh, at times when Dave can do it, of course. Much easier uh, for us, probably, Phil. We're busy, but Dave, come and take more into the night. Not quite so easy, but uh, but but nevertheless... There'll be plenty of ways to listen, to follow the action. Snooker Extra will go on to the wee small hours. That's when you know you're a mad snooker fan, Phil, when, you're, when you're, your eyes are shutting and you say, just one more hit, you know, <laughs> the old Snooker Extra. <laughs> the game you've already watched in the afternoon as well. <laughs> oh, the old days when we used to watch Neighbours twice a day. Enough of it. <laughs> good, good, goodbye to you, sir. Enjoy the start of the tournament. Yeah, it's been a delight. Thanks for listening, everyone. It's always uh, it's always great to have you on board because otherwise just me and Nick talking to each other for two hours, which would be great, but it wouldn't make so much sense. So thanks for listening and uh, enjoy the Crucible. Very much so.
These are what these are why we're snooker fans. These, these special days. Enjoy the World Championship. The first round stage is going to be absolutely brilliant. We'll be back with you next Thursday to look at it all and to look ahead to the, the second round. And thanks for your company. Email us anytime, talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talkingsnooker. For now, from Phil and myself, cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.